This is the Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve. This is your chance to get vocal. Children, I wish to announce that our show has undergone a reformatting. Let's get ready to listen quietly. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? The Vocal Minority. Fellas, think we could listen to the radio or something? The Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve. Radio? <laughs> Who needs a radio? Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this? This is the Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve. Welcome, y'all. Yes, back again and feeling good. Feeling Indeed. the vibe. I'm yeah. loving this. You feeling good, Brisky? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Feeling really good. It feels good to do this show again. I don't know why, but there's something that's uh, kind of a rush for me. It reminds me of performing back in the old band days. Like, uh, just, uh, I- I'm liking it. Glad we're doing it. You're feeling good about it? You're really, like, uh, as the show comes on, you're still feeling pumped up like it's uh, love brand new? Oh, yeah. This is the uh, the ray of light in my life right now. And uh, <laughs> honestly, even if I hadn't been going through, uh, you know, hell for these past few months, as listeners are aware of, uh, this would still be the uh, the light of hope. So, no, this we, we did this radio show for years, and it went away due to circumstances beyond our control. And to have it back and to be doing this and the, the fun of it, the energy, it's uh, it's cool. I'm digging it. You know what is actually, it's fun because before, I mean, we were actually just on the airways of radio and now we're doing the podcast online. And it's just still mind-blowing to me that as we look at analytics of the show that we're finding listeners worldwide are tuning in, which is awesome. Yes, it is crazy. Radio's cool in the fact that, you know, you're in one town and there's an audience for that station. So as soon as, you know, the first time we ever went on the radio, there's there's people there listening. Now, you can obviously repel them and you can get more to come follow. And, you know, that's the idea. But doing this on the interweb and uh, launching like we did like two weeks ago at this point. I mean, we launched to nothing. Uh, no one knew we were here. <laughs> no one knew we were coming back. And How many people, years since we did the show? How there many was, was it? 13? Like a 16? 16. Yeah, 16, 16 year hiatus. Yeah, so, so it's like our the, some of our audience that actually that was into us then could be dead. Yeah. Uh, and they would have no idea. I mean, it's not like they're going on Google every week since we've left and being like, when will the vocal minority right. be back? Maybe someone's been checking every week and now they're very happy because, and as we talked about, you know, the weird thing with this web stuff is you have actual analytics. On the radio, you got to do surveys and diaries to figure out who's listening to what. But now <laughs> we can track this stuff. And so it's been fascinating to me to look at the map because the uh, the main, all the podcasts you listen to are all on one website and then they post on all these other ones, but it all gets tracked through the central hub. And uh, yeah, we've, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago that the fact that we used to be on in Seattle, Wichita, Kansas, in the greater Baltimore, Maryland, Washington, D.C. market. And those are the three spots where we're popping up immediately. Which so, is fascinating to me. That has to be old listeners. Yeah. I don't know what else it show. could be. It can't be a coincidence that our first listeners are back in the original markets we were on. So these have to be people that have stayed podcast talk radio fans, saw us pop up and thought, oh, crap, I remember these guys. Am um, I making this up in my mind that as uh, before we got shit canned, 
excuse me. I just drank oh. seltzer water. That stuff just oh, makes rude. me really belch a lot. Uh, were, were we not in the midst of working some sort of deal with Sacramento? Uh, it was Bakersfield, actually. Bakersfield. That's what it was. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because you told me some people are tuning in in Sacramento, and I was like, yeah. I just wondered, dude. That's so weird. It's the other weird thing. Like, I'm in Northern California, and that's the other spot where people are listening to us. I don't know what's going on, but somebody in Sacramento is our number one listener. But they've downloaded the show. We only have four episodes out there. This is number five. And they've downloaded them like ten times. And this website tracks repeat IP addresses. So I'm almost wondering if it's like an office building, that there's multiple people in one building that have done it. Or maybe it's like a Spotify office or something. I don't know what it is, but that's our biggest hub. But yeah, we Sacramento, Sacramento, and we've got a couple listeners in San Francisco, a couple in Stockton. Uh, This is all Northern California stuff. And then it goes back up to the greater Seattle, Washington area. Uh, We've got like one guy in Wichita, Kansas listening. Uh, Dallas, Texas popped on the map this week. So did um, somewhere North Carolina came up. Uh, Got a couple listeners in Philadelphia and a few listeners in the Washington, D.C. area. It's crazy. The other thing is, dude, is that, you know, like oftentimes when I see like when one of my TV shows leaves and it's not doing any more episodes, like I'll put a Google alert, you know, I'll sign up for a Google Mm. alert whenever it's talked about. And that could be a possibility as well, you know, because we kind of left that whole situation with like, man, we might be back, you know, we had a lot of listeners spread around the country. Yeah. Yeah. You know, right. Don't see a dot on my map. Boston. Where Boston? Boston. Boston. <laughs> Has Brewski not even checked out the show one time. You're not listening to us, Brewski. Come on. At least for I'm analytics, doing... put the put up the dot on the map. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll do that. I'll do that. I'm sorry. Brewski's our I'm least sorry. favorite fan. <laughs> you're, an, you're an Uber driver on the side, dude. There's not a reason in hell that you should not be playing this program for all of your Uber passengers. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually good promotion Bonus, right there. Dude. Now, I know yes. you're hearing it well, real time, Bruce Stephen. Come on. Yeah. Well, you know, by the way, this hat that I'm wearing today, you mentioned Sacramento. This is the hat for the Sacramento Dorados. Wow. Is that a wrestling team? or No, it's it's a baseball team. The Sacramento River Cats is the actual name of the team there. But yes. a few times a year, they wear this particular uniform and this particular mm-hmm. hat. It's the thing that the Pacific Coast League does. That's I had no funny. idea you guys were going to mention Sacramento today. So this is actually there nice, you go. Uh, Shout out to Sacmo. What's up? Yeah. So yeah. And in all seriousness, if you're any of these people listening on the podcast, uh, we want to hear from you and understand that you're getting in on the ground floor. So please, if you're listening and enjoying this in any capacity, share it. Get on the social media. Share it. Tell people, please, please. Please do it. The vocal minority spreading nationwide, just like SARS. Oh. Yes. Oh, that's an outdated one, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, SARS well, te- was the big deal. Well, te- technically, COVID actually is a SARS virus. Form of SARS. You're correct, Bruski. Once again, Bruski, yeah. just with the knowledge, dude. That's why not only a friend, not only a companion, but a genius on many levels. <laughs> I just want everyone to appreciate how long this talk show has been around, that we're playing drops from the original SARS. Like, what if that were to spread around the country? As yes. if some disease or virus could possibly do that. So. There's yeah. got to be a drop in here uh, talking about the Spanish flu somewhere. I mean, we've been around for a long time. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, anyone listening through the podcast, please help spread the good word. And I will say, you know, the podcast, we have about 100 people 
you know, we're in the infancy that have uh, that have tuned in for this thing. But in a way, that's kind of impressive. Hundred people after this thing just starting out of nowhere. Uh, but I will say, on social media, in this last week, we hit about five thousand people between our various videos that we've been posting, which is fantastic. And then, uh, yeah. we, of course, we launched on on YouTube. And it's funny to see that the folks on YouTube are listening for a lengthy, I mean, they're listening to the whole podcast and then some, I mean, it's crazy. It, it is. So the YouTube analytics show that we've hit over a thousand people in the last week on the YouTube page, but the time spent listening, this must be cumulative. It's, it's over 10 hours. So oh. I don't think each person is averaging 10 hours, but they're saying that, you know, everyone going there has racked up 10 hours worth of viewing time on the, the full length podcast are on there. And so are a bunch of uh, interview segments and a couple of shorter clips. So yeah, it's all there. So go check it out. Well, thank you, Steve, for getting all that stuff up and running. You've been uh, diligent on that, doing a, a nice job. From the labor of love. And by the way, international shout out. We have a listener in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Uh, somebody is still listening in Belgium that we discussed and Liverpool, England to stop oh, on the map. Wow, that's a big one, dude. I love that. Home of the Beatles. There's something, you know, karmic and magical about that. So, yeah. Yeah. If anyone's listening right now going, hey, I'm in Liverpool, uh, please shout out to us. Find us on social media. We'd get you on the show. I'd love to talk to you. Right. Rachel's over in London right now. Maybe, uh, maybe she's tuning in from over there. Maybe yeah, we'll see. Put a More dot London. on London just yeah. so we can feel good about it. And yeah, Rachel yeah. called last week to defend the Royals. And then this week she's in London. What the hell? She a groupie? Stalker? What's going on there? Yeah, she's over there for work, but uh, sure. yeah, she's been going out and doing <laughs> a little touring. So we'll have to see what happens. I don't know. A little bangers and mash while she's there. Seven bangers and mash, dude. One thing. That How she dare you loves. accuse her of cheating? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Brisky, you should apologize. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want to know mash. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Bangers and mash. Well, you know what? This Those is sound dirty. Uh, fantastic. But uh, Rachel and I years ago were in London and we went to Starbucks and, you know, everything on the menus of places that are here are a little bit different. Uh, abroad and they they have a sausage sandwich that is like sausage links that are split down the middle and then laid flat and they make this amazing sausage sandwich at starbucks and she talks about it all the time and as soon as she got there her first destination before she even went into her hotel was to go get a sausage sandwich at starbucks so wow she's eating the eating sausage sandwiches every day dude the, She's uh, it up. That sounds like a double entendre, too. She's doing bangers and mash <laughs> and eating sausages every day. What the hell, man? I told you. She's over there for work, dude. <laughs> Those Brits, I tell you. Yes. Uh, I found when I was there for my trip to London, which was phenomenal, uh, but the food was just miserable. I was, eat, I was eating at McDonald's and Pizza Hut and Starbucks, you know, American chains. Well, your palate has matured since Maybe then. it has. How, that was a long time ago. Come on. All the meat there is gray. Everything is boiled. It's like the 1950s. Never. What left. about fish and chips? You didn't have any fish and chips? I, I did. You know, that was okay. And uh, the warm beer over there I actually thought was really good. Someone warned <laughs> me. All their beer is warm, but it was really good. It's a great country, but your food sucks. I'm sorry. I'm just sorry. <laughs> I, I don't care about the Royals back, and your food sucks. Yeah, I've really been well, hating on wait, Britain of late. Wow. Yeah. Way to get listeners, dude. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes of a setting, people get some to tune into. So, hey, dude, do we need to uh, set this guest up who's coming on? Or do, should we just do it when he gets on? Or what, how's that going to work? Let's just bring him in and then we can just we can set it all up, I think. Okay. All does right. Sound like a plan? 
Sounds like a plan, dude. He's going to be here. Uh, we're going to have a guest in a few minutes. And uh, He's uh, here. Yeah. I just I just tagged him in. So I uh, give him a second to log in, and then we'll uh, we'll explain who the guest is and uh, what exactly we're doing here. Fantastic. Sip on my coffee. There he is. Hey, welcome to the program, my friend. Thank you for showing up a little early. Oh, we like that. Hydro, is that you? No, this is the rap poet. I think Hydro will be joining us as well. That's my bro. All right. Okay. On. Oh, we're getting two of you for the price of none today. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so what what was your name man i want to make sure we're calling everyone correct names here kain the rat poet r-a-p-o-e-t the rat right. poet okay self-suffice on all streaming platforms currently serving as the troubadour of connecticut's capital city hartford nice is that where you're at right now you're in hartford yes sir okay so nice. so here's the deal and, and we've got hydro joining us shortly are you guys gonna be like in the same room there no is he coming I on i don't know where i don't know where he is oh okay <laughs> well at least we've got you then right yeah but i just <laughs> i just texted him to ask if he'd be joining and he said he was in a couple of minutes all right cool well here's the setup and if uh if hydro tags in then that's great we'll get you guys both on but otherwise uh we were looking to talk to a hip-hop expert today and I'll explain why, but do you feel you're qualified as a hip-hop expert, rap poet? Yeah, I'm pretty qualified. I'm not a pioneer. I wasn't there in 1973 when it was founded, but I've been diligently doing my research to catch up. Nice. Right on. And are you a performer yourself? Yes, I am. Yeah. So he's a rap poet, tonight. dude. Right, right. I don't want to assume just based on your name. <laughs> but... <laughs> right on. So uh, what, what style? Where, where are you performing at? All that kind of stuff. I, I perform rap uh, and spoken word, um, hip hop, lyricism. You know, there's the four foundational elements of hip hop are DJing, breaking, writing, which many people call graffiti, and MCing, which is not just rapping, but that might, depending on how much time we have to talk about that, you, you'll find out that MCing is not, is what people mistake for rapping, just like people mistake. Uh, Hip hop as a whole culture, they mistake it for just dance or rap. Uh, I got you. And There's what a is... lot of complexities to it for sure. And you mentioned spoken word in there. I gotta mm -hmm. tell you, man, as uh, as I'm scrolling through TikTok, I've been starting to get a lot of spoken word on my uh, my for you page. Okay. I'm so freaking into it, dude. I think it is so powerful and and. There's so much room for emotion to be brought up in spoken word that it is so cool to watch. And I mean, most of the time, like there's a lot of emotion behind it that get that hits me hard, dude. I really enjoy it. You do that live? Yeah. Yeah. We do that live. I'll shout out to Saul Williams. If you're going down that path, definitely check him. He's one of the great people to blow it up to the world. There's a movie called Slam. It was like the first feature film featuring a spoken word artist. And then it looked like Brewski, Brewski familiar with it. And then there's yeah. a film called Slam Nation, which documented the Slam team with Jessica Caremore and others who first published spoken word poetry and um and just took it. And now Jessica Caremore, you might see her in common, is a is a popular Grammy winning artist. Mm -hmm. She's in a lot of his videos and songs and on the albums of a lot of rappers for the reason that. Um, you just said, Nikki, that it opens up, uh, you know, uh, Nas album, a Jeezy album, uh, all these different rappers use this spoken word to open up their album because it just grips you before you get caught up in the beat. 
It does. It is so incredible how like it is just, I mean, a silent room and that just kicks off. It's just really powerful. Uh, Quite an art that I'm really new to, but enjoying what I'm seeing. So I'll definitely check out Slam for sure. That sounds cool. Hey, let me ask you this. Is there a difference between rap and hip hop? I mean, a technical distinction or is it all the same umbrella? Oh, Hydro. Oh, hey, we got we got Hydro joining in too. Hey, Hydro. Say hi to everyone. Peace and love, man. Peace and love. Thank you for having us here. Absolutely. So Hydro is our, uh, our, our I suppose, our designated hip hop expert, but then he brought the rap poet in as well. Oh, so. yes. That's my that's the that's my big brother right there. I call him uh, Professor X. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> he is definitely, I'm, I'm more Magneto than than Professor X. Nice. <laughs> you know, we, we, we balance each other out very well. But um, but you're, you're definitely qualified to talk about the difference between rapping and hip hop. Yes. Yeah. What's the answer yeah. to that? Rapping, rapping is the expression. It is the art form of rhyming words of emceeing. It is one of the elements, core four elements of hip hop. That is breaking, emceeing, graffiti, writing, which is actually what it's called, writing, DJing. And then the fifth one is uh, beatboxing. But the four core elements of hip hop are breaking, which most people would, um, you know, would see. Beatboying. Would, yeah, b-boying, that's like a synonymous word. The b-boys and the b-girls, they don't like to be called b-boys and b-girls. They, they prefer breaking, but that's what, you know, that's what they've actually been called. Um, I'm 51 years old, so I, I go way back, and that, that, that's what we always knew it as, so. Exactly, yep, yep. So MCing is, you know, is the, is the MC. You know, he it started off with the DJ at first. It wasn't somebody else there actually rapping and rhyming. It was actually the DJ just getting a party started. So, you know... Just to give you a quick history, yeah. you know, as I've studied it from uh, KRS-One, um, who is one of the legendary MCs and educators in this space. Um, also, uh, Russell Simmons, who went on later on to found um, from Rush Promotions to um, Def Jam, working with Rick Rubin, Lear Cohen. Um, so this is a lot of this knowledge I've gotten from hearing them retell it because they were there. So it's very important to get it from the source. I'm not the source, but very much so feel like it is my duty as a practitioner. Uh, well, Hydro, can I can I comment on something? Like we we had a we're doing a series called Domingo right now in Hartford, where they're shutting down entire streets just to celebrate arts in the community uh, throughout Connecticut and in Hartford, which is the capital. And uh, Hydro was the host for one section. So imagine you have a major city street and it's just shut down for blocks and blocks, like say 20 blocks, with just breaks in between so people can still drive through, like maybe every five blocks is a break. And Hydro had this one section um, and he he was hosting MCs, dancers, uh, different genres, uh, uh, Hartford Proud drum, drum team, youth dancing and drumming. And so one of the things that like I wanna make clear is we weren't there in 1973 when hip hop started and was founded. And all these elements were codified in the principles, which are peace, love, unity, and safely having fun, which spells the acronym PLUS. But we definitely live out those and have studied. And when we start getting props for winning battles and as rappers and then realizing, like, what's the difference between an MC and a rapper? We took it seriously. And Hydro, I saw you yesterday. MC stands for move the crowd. MC stands for microphone controller. And MC stands for master of ceremony. So when you're a master of ceremony, you don't encourage uh, the youth in the area to get hurt. You don't encourage people to um, 
you know, we we do a little competitive snapping and dancing and emceeing and everything. But as an MC, you make sure that it's within a realm. Like you don't match up people who aren't evenly matched and willing to go head to head in that contest, stuff like that. So all of this goes into emceeing, not to belabor the point, but I saw you, my brother Hydro, doing this yesterday, you know, giving all these different voices from youth to old, Latino, Black, white, Asian, different races, giving them a platform, different perspectives. That's 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 what you start to delve into when you talk about what is a master of ceremony. It's someone who's responsible for creating peace, love, unity, and safely having fun through rapping and through call and response. Not lyrical, miracle, empirical in the swimming pool. It's like we could do that and people would be like, wow, he's great with his lyrics. But will people feel like they had a voice? Did they get to shout at some point? Did they feel like someone looked at that at some point? These are the type of things that you start to get into when you talk about what is an MC. It's yeah. not that an MC isn't a rapper. It's that a rapper isn't necessarily an MC. I got you. Let me ask you a question that's been bugging me for years because I play MC at a lot of radio events where I host the thing, right? No freestyle going on, but I've always, I hate it when people spell MC, E-M-C-E-E or E-M-C-E or whatever. Like it's MC. It's a master of ceremonies. Am I right? Or am I, wrong? I love it. I love it. Hey, I love, I, it. I, I, I love that. And honestly, I'm okay with both because the other one seems to be like the phonetic spelling, you know, how it's, how it's actually set out. So I've written it both ways, you know, okay. but I definitely love to point out to people that MC is, and then these things that make right. it. It stands yeah. for something. It doesn't seem like we should make it into another word. So when, it, when you get into what is a rap, what is uh rapping and hip hop? Um, so rapping is, is, the expression, but hip hop is so much more. You had the 1970s where these youth in New York City felt like they were being ignored. Their self-expression was being ignored. Um, they weren't having uh, platforms or spaces that they were able to be in and safely express themselves. You know, so you had uh, you. how did hip hop happen? You know, as it comes from little KRS-One at the time watching. 1973 in New York, Sedgwick, uh, Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx. Cool Herc. Yeah, Cool Herc's, Cool Herc's little sister. Uh, at the time, he went by the name of Cool Ass Clyde because he was a, a, a writing artist. He was graffiti tagging and things of that nature. His sister asked him to DJ her party and he ended up doing it. And it was at a, a local um, community center right there. And uh, the little kids weren't able to get in. It was more for the older kids and whatnot, but he changed his name from Cool Ass Clyde to Cool DJ Herc and started this thing of the jam. And at first that's what it was, was the jam. And the jam became so big that it spilled outside. Mm -hmm. So then hip hop started out in the park. It's really truthful because it ended up becoming something that spilled out of a community center right onto the blocks of New York, right into the parks of New York. They would plug up to the telephone poles and things of that nature. And yeah, yeah. it wasn't really called hip hop until after Africa Bambata, who was at the time a gang leader, reformed gang leader, one of the black, black spades. 
Yeah, yeah. Run, run, won a writing contest, uh, you know, as an award winner, went to Africa, you know, found himself, came back, and that's where the Africa part of Bambada came from. And, and Bambada being a gang, a, he was a gangster. So he, he, was. He, he organized the other gangs in New York to say, hey, guys, if we keep up the way we're going, you know, these gangs were supposed to be patrolling our neighborhoods, keeping the neighborhoods safe because the police, the FBI, everybody's coming in here, mm -hmm. destroying our neighborhoods. So we're policing ourselves, but now we're no longer policing ourselves. We're the ones actually destroying things as well. Right. We need to stop this. We need to stop this. And through this culture, you know, we're going to build something where we can change ourselves and do something positive and make something for ourselves. And he saw another DJ, local guy, MC, Love Buck Starsky, who was calling it hip hop in his lyrics, in his calls and responses, in his party sets and things of that nature. So Bambada was like, we're going to call Shout it out to Cowboy, MC. And Cowboy from Grandmaster Flash was the one who yeah. like coined the word. What, did he stop? what was it? What was it? Hey, everybody say, ho, oh, oh. ho. Hey. Like, that's how the call and response started. That was, uh, that was Cowboy, you know okay. what I'm saying? Right on. Let me let, let me pause you right there because you're starting yeah, yeah. to get into the answer to some of my bigger questions here. So, Nick, first of all, I'm feeling good about our two experts here. Would you concur? <laughs> yeah, I would. One thing I want to say is I love watching you guys talk about this. I can see the the joy and uh, the love of all of this just like seething out of you as I'm watching you guys. It's compelling. So thank you for being you. here for sure. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with Rap Poet and, uh, and Hydro, our hip hop experts. Why, you ask? Uh, we're we're going to do a little segment on the show here called Questions from Crosby. My son is Crosby. He's 12 years old. He's turning 13, actually, this week. And every now and again, he's at the stage of life where he's starting to look at the bigger picture. And he's coming at me with some profound questions. And uh, he asked me the other day, uh, he basically said, why, why did black people invent rap? Why, why is that their thing? Why are they good at it? How did it come from that community? And I had this moment of like, boy, I never thought about that, actually. <laughs> Let me, would you like to hear what my answer was to hear how insanely either maybe close or how far off I was? I'm ready. I'm on the edge of my seat. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Let's hope I don't put my foot in my mouth here. I was, uh, it's like that Seinfeld episode where they're like, I don't know if we're supposed to be talking about this. Like, you know, I was, I was treading lightly. But... We're supposed to be talking about this. Thank you. That's the whole point of this show here. So That's I appreciate okay. you saying that. You have to have conversation. So I told him, as I was kind of pondering this, like off the top of my head, I'm like, well, listen, the one thing all cultures have in common is we all love music, not the same kinds, but every culture loves music. And some cultures seem to sort of, I don't know, channel this energy that comes from their community. And I was saying, like, if you look at like sort of tribal music, it's based around a basic drum beat and not quite singing. It's some form of almost chanting or something. And that's something that a lot of you know, indigenous cultures just on their own, it sort of grew out of that community. And I said, rap seems to me to be a similar thing, where in, you know, in an underdeveloped uh, part of a city where the local kids may not have the money to, you know, they're not, the parents probably didn't buy them a guitar and a drum kit, or they didn't have good music programs in school that exposed them to instruments, that that particular community developed a form of music that was based basically on beats and not singing per se, but not spoken word either, somewhere in between, some type of urban poetry. 
And it just sort of grew from that and seemed to become something unique to that community and culture that then obviously expanded, but it started there. So rate my answer. Was that ignorant? Was I right on any part? <laughs> what do you think? I think you definitely touched on different pieces. Um, when we, when, when me and Kaim, rap poet, talk about hip hop as we know it to be, we're starting from around the 70s, right? Yeah. But if we take it back further, you touched on some things before there was that, uh, you know, there was those drums, <laughs> there was that chanting as a method of conveying stories and history and also messages, knowledge and information. Also, you know, as we, as we uh, being hip hop MCs, uh, further our studies on just knowledge, you know, we, we find that sound and and song, sing song has existed probably as long as human beings have and, and, and has existed as a way um, to convey messages, not only to come together as a community, but also to keep that tradition going forward. And I think it has just happened that we in this present day and time um, have, and have found this art form as hip hop, but yeah, from I, I agree. I think I think there's. It also depends what levels. Like just from the beginning, we talked about what is a rapper. Is a rapper hip hop? A rapper is definitely part of hip hop. But then we said, what is an MC? And you could see it could get quite deep, right? Down at, depending how far you want to go. Now, for me and Hydro, we're MCs. We're dedicated to the culture. When it first started out, a lot of people were DJs and MCs and graph writers. They were doing all these things. Um, and shout out to everybody. Shout out to LL who just talked about all the contributions of the pioneers. I am overwhelmed just by studying this sliver of the, the lane of emceeing alone. So I respect everybody else. We always bring the B-boys and B-girls to our shows and everything like that and work with graffiti artists and so forth. But I know that like it's so overwhelming just to study each part of it. Um, and Brewski and Hydro referenced earlier, you know, when you were asking about MC spelled MC versus MC, right? So technically you could say, look, hip hop has MCs just like anything else has MCs. But once you start going into it, like you said, there's a reason why we say MC. There's a certain responsibility and a code that goes with that. Are you the master of ceremony? Are you somebody that just got a check for it? Or are you somebody who cares about the young people and who's your audience? And you're not performing the same way to a group of people in one neighborhood like you are in the other neighborhood. You're not performing the same way when uh, we just lost somebody's aunt to breast cancer as you are when we're celebrating someone's wedding. An MC is responsible for what they're doing in the ceremony and you're moving the crowd, which means you don't say, oh man, this crowd is like horrible. Like if the crowd ain't responding a certain way as an MC, you're calling response. They giving you energy, you giving it back, right? Sure. But even in the spelling, besides just saying we use the letters MC, um, like Hydro and Brewski were saying, MCN is not MCing ing in hip hop culture. We spell it MCIN, breaking, IN, B boying, like Brewski was saying, B boying, B girling. We add an IN. Depending on how deep you want to go down. But sure. one thing it's signifying is like this started, like you said, in different tribal, uh, there's, there's just these universal collective unconscious urges people have. But particularly in the South Bronx in the 73, what was happening was there was a flood of 
heroin going in and then being replaced by crack, which was extra cheap, extra easy. Uh, it was very tempting for people whose uh, buildings were being burned down. They built the Cross Bronx Expressway through this neighborhood. It was rubble. It was junkyards. And these kids were basically the way the the politicians and, and the politicians are on record documenting that they had what was called a policy of benign neglect, which means um, we're going to officially not send cops to help people in this community. We're going to officially not create policies to help them because technically we want uh, there to, we don't really care about these people. They're expendable. So in this particular time, it was like we've seen cultures around the world, but I think the reason why it's going to be 50 years old next year is because it was created in a crucible where these people were expected, our ancestors were expected to kill each other, become drug addicts, and make money off of incentive, what I call incentivized dysfunction, meaning this wasn't just an accident. You were getting paid to create drug addicts in your neighborhood, and you had not many other ways. The schools were shutting down. They were taking the arts out of the program. I know I'm saying a lot of things, but just follow the gist of this, which is that we add an I-N onto MCN, B-boy and B-girl and break in, write in, uh, DJ in, because the idea was regardless of what's happening around you and what externally you're being told to do, and anything that's created, you have an in an X and a re, meaning just like you breathe, there's an internal, there's an external, and then there's respiration, there's a repetition. And our founders, to their credit, in the midst of all this craziness and drugs and violence and being meant to kill each other, they realize, oh, we can, there's something within us that will produce something greater than what's outside. And they did that. And we started to see through the following decades, you had people where you was considered a poor neighborhood or uh, uh, you know, whatever lower class society. Now you got people paying more money for rips in their clothes and baggier jeans and jeans hanging down. <laughs> All these things, anything that you consider was terrible from the outside. Hip hop basically became a way of looking at things that said you add value because your value as a human being, you get in your cipher, which is a circle. You surround yourself with other people who value you and value yourselves. And the world starts to look at you and try to try to add value so i i don't want to i don't well, want to go too far i know i said a lot no 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 i, I like what you're saying but about let me, spelling at least spelling and going deep in the culture <laughs> and how it's it's a different version of what was created Hip -hop yeah. this no is, you're starting this to paint a picture i get it but let me ask you or, or, or hydro like yeah. are you saying that hip-hop sort of coincidentally or accidentally came from this circumstance of culture is everything you were just describing or is there something you know uniquely african-american that it would have happened regardless of the uh, uh the external factors you, you were just uniquely describing? latino and african-american hydro do you, do you want to chime in yeah definitely i want to say that um although a product of the times and definitely greatly influenced by the environment um by everything that was happening around them yes those those conditions put certain people in a certain place so you had mm. gangsters <laughs> you had nerds you had regular people you had also you had people who bought into the american dream um you had people like uh, uh dj you know this this style of djing and stuff also came from jamaica and jamaican parents are very very strict 
and 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 on their children, Caribbean folks, you know, um, you know, most parents, period, they want their kids to become something and do something. And a lot of the youth in New York were seeing that they had knowledge to do something. You know, uh, you had uh, Grandmaster Flash was an electrician who could not get a job. Hmm. So he said, I'm going to DJ to make money. He created the first mixer. Yep. Certified yep. electric. There would be the way you think about DJing today would not exist. Would not exist. You know, before guys were mixing records manually with amps and all kind of stuff. And he took, I just took some notes here before I came in, but you know, he, he did something profound. There were people that were very intelligent and could do something, but they weren't being given that opportunity because of the racism and prejudice that existed at the time. So what they said was, all right, we're gonna do something else, but we're not going to sell drugs. We're not going to keep doing this stuff that we've, uh, you know, is, is is a destructive alternative. Like we need to do something else. Hmm. And off the back of the parties, when you had a party, people start dancing and stuff, right? And after a while, somebody at that party does a move or something, and it's like, oh, what move was that? And it, oh, man, that was the, whatever, whatever move or whatever, you know. So then people started. The, the style of music they were finding breaks in James Brown records and Apache from the Bongo Band yeah. and, and playing these for hours. These were the only records they would play because it had those breaks in there. So then after a while, these guys are looking looking for these records. So now you're getting a style of dance. And now all these guys in the early '70s looked up to Bruce Lee. They looked up to that discipline. They looked up. Guys were walking around the hood dressed up like Bruce Lee. This is not me telling you. This is KRS and everybody else at the time, both in, in New York and in, in L.A. saying this. Like, guys in the hood were looking at Bruce Lee, and he had the black guy with him, Jim Kelly. And it was like, oh, man, this dude is fighting against the police, doing all this kung fu stuff. So, guys, that's where Wu-Tang got it from. They were going down, watching movies and stuff. And so this, this, this type of – these type of things gave – the culture, the, the early seeds. And then as that happened, so, okay, it's, okay, now we got a dance style. Okay, now we got the MCing style thing going. Oh, we got these, man, these guys are making these beautiful murals overnight in the train yards in New York, you know, and they're, and, and they're flying by during the daytime and they're like, yo, that's me up there, man. That's, that's, yep. that's my piece right there. <laughs> and, and you have, and then you had the beatboxing when they didn't have their own beats or they, you know, oh man, where's the DJ at? We don't need a DJ. <laughs> right. I, that's what I was talking yeah, about with lack of instruments, right? That that was yeah. that was a factor, right? Yeah, but but you know what? A lot of people in hip hop as well were instruments. They were musicians. Yeah, yeah. They work. They couldn't get jobs, so they just transitioned to did something different. Those became the, the, the music programs, the art programs, out of the schools yeah. at that time, especially well, in the black with, and Latino. Just to wrap this, just to tie all of this in, Bambada's Bambada's great gift was bringing people together from his organizing in the streets, you know, as a, as, a, as a gangster, a gang member. He used that to say, yo, we're gonna organize and stop doing this violent stuff. We're gonna come together. Thousands of you from the New York area. This is unheard of, like hmm. epic. And- The mothership. Positive things around these elements of hip hop. And then they said, we're gonna call it hip hop because Love Bug Star Ski's already given it a name. He's already, you know what? Mm -hmm. Let's add on. MC Cowboy. MC Cowboy. MC Cowboy. <laughs> MC Cowboy. And also, you know, um, people, 
when we start getting into the particulars of who was the first rapper and all of that stuff, we'll argue about shout, that. Shout out to Coke LaRock while we're yeah. on the top. Coke LaRock, Coke LaRock he is gave me the first MC. Is the one Sugar Hill Gang? That. Isn't that the correct answer? That, but, or, you know, or no. I, I know somebody in Coke LaRock's hood is probably like, yo, I rap before him. So <laughs> what about <laughs> Curtis Blow? Those things, but. Curtis Blow, I just, shout out to Curtis Blow. He is a great example of the history of hip hop. He, as well as Karis, one that Hydro was mentioning, took it into a spiritual direction. You can see, I said, depending on how deep you want to get into these elements, you can go from rapping to emceeing to hip hop culture, all the way into how this affects world culture. Why did this get pervasive in every element of society yeah. for wasn't years later instead of a trend? I said and all of that to say spiritual this. thing. And, and Curtis Blow started a hip hop church and KRS started the temple of hip hop. And Curtis Blow has died three times and come back to life. I have a podcast interviewing him and he's just talking about, yeah, I had a stroke and the doctor said this and that. And as I'm interviewing him, I'm like, wait, so you were dead for wow. five seconds and you came That's back. Crazy. To life. He's like, yeah. And this dude is a spiritual. So depending on how deep you want to yeah. get, like, Curtis Blow is definitely a great example to, to bring up in terms of like the deeper aspects, but he also had to be a pop star with hip hop. He's the one yeah. that Nas and Lauryn Hill sampled in If I Rule the World. You mentioned Sugar Hill Gang and, and for them being the originals, they were definitely not the originators, but they were one of the first biggest commercial hits and a lot of hip hop today wouldn't be what it was if Sylvia Robinson didn't go and recruit Big Bang Hank and wonder Mike to do Sugar Hill. But yeah. the cats in the hood that was emceeing at first was like, hell no, we don't want to do this. And Hank was like, yo, he sh he hollered at this man, Kaz, who Sugar Hill Gang, we've Casanova. Gang. And, say Casanova. Casanova. And we've, yeah. we've spoken to both of them and they've come to Hartford and rock with us. But to be clear, it, and rest in peace, Hank, by the way, he passed away recently. Um, uh, so many, so many people from that era are passing away right now. So this is yeah. why we're really glad to be learning as much and passing on. I was going to say, much. we got to keep this history alive and I'm glad yes, we're talking to you yes. guys. I got a question but, but for this you. To, let's just make that point. Yeah. Kaz, Hank said, hey, could I borrow your rhyme book? So Kaz was like, uh... oh, he, gave, he gave Hank his rhyme book. Next thing you know, hip hop, the hippie to the hip, it's the biggest it ever. Kaz had no idea. Uh... And later on, it was a point of contention. I so bet. that's why when you ask that question, is the real answer Sugar Hill Gang? Yeah. It's like, that definitely is a complex answer because yeah. now that you get the history straight, shout out to Hank, rest in peace, shout out to Sylvie Robinson, everyone that made it a big record. But you got to give props to, like Hydro was saying, Casanova of Cold Crush Brothers, Tony Tone, a lot of the cats that wasn't Mark we're, all, yeah, we're, yeah. All, we're all Cold Crush Brothers' sons. Yeah, I think they a lot of back, man. Yeah, we're we're all their children. We're we're the children of the cold crush, man. Yeah, no, that's like, cool. Seeing all those guys, like you remember when Jay Z said, "I'm overcharging people for what they did to the cold crush." Mm, remember Jay Z had that line. That's what he was talking about. He was talking yeah, about how guys, like us. it was yeah. his rhyme book that got used in the Sugar Hill Gang, and they yeah. got. So Jay-Z said, well, now I'm going to take this big. So maybe that helped inspire him. But at the same point, I don't know how much Jay is like funding the Cold Crusher paid up. But I think in some <laughs> yeah. ways, cultural capital, he's definitely giving them their recognition. And that yeah. is a lot more okay. valuable than people think. 
I think, uh, okay, so for my official, you know, music trivia uh, question, I guess it's Sugar Hill Gang, but with most forms of art, they usually found it somewhere else and they led to this, but they were the first, I guess, to go mainstream or had the first big hit or whatever. But let me ask you, uh, let me ask you. Shout out to Fresh Prince, Will Smith, too. He's getting a lot of heat right now, but I think he was the first to get a Grammy in hip hop, right? Will Smith and Jazzy Jeff. Are you saying he's been overlooked? Run DMC didn't have one before him? But maybe, I, I don't know. Are I'm you telling sure. me? Will I know Smith? they did with Aerosmith. They they had a hit with Aerosmith, right? Well, with yeah, the, but even, but even before that, when you when you go back to their first album with Rockbox, uh, I, I'm sure we sure that he didn't have they didn't have a Grammy for the, for that. Let me let me let me do my research on that. Yeah. I know that was I know that was the first time they put it on like MTV and a lot of the videos, yeah. shows, right? Yeah. yeah. I hope Will Smith's not being overlooked. That would be a real slap in the face. is going into the realm of battle rapping, Hydro. All right, gentlemen, here's a question for you. I heard an interview, a quote. I don't know if this was recently or years ago, but it was with 50 Cent. And he was talking about, and I'm paraphrasing him here, but he basically said that you know, hip hop rap is absolutely a commodity of the black community. It's like, you know, we, we started it, we own it. But if you tell me that Eminem is not one of the best rappers out there, I'll tell you that you're just being disingenuous. So what do you think about that? That this did, as we've been talking about, start in the African-American community. But as you mentioned, it's, it's expanded beyond that. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? What do you, what do you think about someone like Eminem? I, I, me, me personally, Eminem is one of the greatest people to ever pick up a pen and start writing rhymes and reciting rhymes, rapping, battle rapping. He's been an inspiration to me. Um, Eminem um, is definitely someone that has, when he, when he made his mark and was coming up, um, he was beloved in the hood. And I remember someone in the hood, this will paraphrase my answer and give you a bigger overview I remember someone saying something like, yo, you heard that new Eminem? And somebody was like, who that white dude? And one of the gangsters in my hood was like, yo, you bugging, you you you, you hating right now. Yeah. Home, home could rap, home tough. And Eminem opened doors for people to be different, for people to be able to express themselves because even though he is a white MC who doesn't shy away from being white, who doesn't shy away from the fact that he has been privileged at times from being white. But what he did do was walk through that door and pull other people through that door that mm -hmm. weren't white. And yeah. also made it to where other MCs that are different in the way that they express themselves, that's all we care about in hip hop. Are you dope? Nice. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you dress like. Nice. Are you dope? Because the weirdest person in hip hop will create their own style, their own fashion and stuff. So to answer your question, yes, Eminem is dope. I'm happy that he's here. Um, the, the bad thing is when you get one dope MC, you get a bunch of clones. But yeah. that <laughs> Every dope MC gets a bunch of clones. But and I, I mentioned, y'all might have heard me say the term the cipher early on. Everything yeah. in hip hop is done in ciphers, either a physical circle where people take turns or in a cyclical nature, like in terms of a graffiti wall, where it's not a, a circle of brick walls and buildings, 
but there's a cyclical nature in which the protocol allows one artist to go up and then the artist that follows them has to meet or exceed in some way. Meaning they either have to go higher on the wall, they have to add more colors, they have to do something that's more dangerous. You can't just scratch somebody out. And that's, again, the difference between people talking about just graffiti and hip hop writing graffiti, right? So again, I'm not gonna go all into the details, that's probably for a deeper research, but just repeating redundantly to tell you, like there's protocols that make something hip hop culture versus what you just see on the outside. And um, with, with you're talking about two things when you talk about Eminem. One is, you know, taking a culture and then bringing people who weren't originally part of it as it grows and expands across the world and across time and generations. And the other is you're talking about just race and class in the beginning, okay? So just briefly, I wanna say that there were white people involved in hip hop from the beginning, from what I understand. Because when these cats was, um, you know, hopping trains and doing graffiti late at night and, uh, and, 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 um, and there was white flight from the South Bronx and stuff like that, you always had people like uh, the BC Boys and numerous producers who I won't get into, but who were at these jams. Uh, you had MCs like MC Search was one who would come in. And the thing was, he would come to a place where predominantly black and poor people were. And it was like Hydro said, oh, you showed and proved. It's not just like, oh, I rap really good. It's like, damn, you came to a neighborhood where people say, you're not allowed to go there, Mr. Search. Don't go there. Those black people are not nice and they sell drugs. So you always had, you know, people who would come to the hood and say, look, we're human. I got love for y'all. If y'all got love for me, let's rock together. And that's part of what hip hop is that they don't even really touch on. Um, there was a show on Netflix called um, uh, uh, Pass the Mic. It was like episode four, season four or something like that. Um, of this of this Netflix series on hip hop, but it's called Pass the Mic. And he talked about this cipher and how everyone could get into it. I don't steal this from me till I write my book, but I have a term <laughs> which I call rotational exclusivity, which is what Hydro says. If you're nice, like shout out to my homegirl Invincible from Detroit, Michigan. She's a white lesbian MC. She's crazy and she destroyed the cypher, meaning she raps really well as well as anybody else. And when she's there, everybody is pushing the white lesbian agenda for her 45 seconds. And then she passes on and the misogynistic dude from somewhere else comes on. Everybody's cool with the misogynistic dude because in hip hop, it's not really about that agenda. It's about the unity. Again, the principles are peace, love, unity, and having fun. Once you create that unity and that cipher, then we know we can communicate to each other, okay? Yeah. So that, that's what I want to say. Like, there was there was Black, Latino, there's white people, there's Asian people. Shout out to all the Filipino DJs and B-boys. Like, from the beginning, there was a lot of them. But they had to be willing to consider Black and Latino people as human, which was going against every bit of propaganda you had if you were not Black and Latino at that time. Yeah. But real quick, to get back to Eminem, Eminem was not the first white person and won't be the last person in hip hop. When we talk about Eminem, like my brother Hydro talked about, we're talking about something else besides being included. If you always had white people being included from the beginning, What's particular about Eminem is his level of excellence in MCN and his level of bravery in going to Black and Latino and lower class neighborhoods and treating people as human. Mm. The things that we don't talk about when we're talking about is a white rapper okay 
it always hurts me and it hurts a lot of uh, black and Latino marginalized people because it's always, it's like Black Lives Matter. It's this undiscovered conversation that people don't want to talk about, which is we're not talking about Eminem because he's just in rap. He's ridiculously nice. He's one of the best people to ever touch the mic. To this day, he's still, people can't mess with him. But we're talking about him because you get the sense that he loves people who are black, Latino, Asian. He loves all people and he respects that black people came up with this in conditions that it wasn't polite to come up with. And don't get it twisted. The reason hip hop culture has lasted 50 years is because it gave people who were told they were the bottom of society, right? It gave them a means by which to be looked as the coolest thing ever where all these commercial brands wanna use hip hop in their ads. And he doesn't just take that last part and go, yeah, hip hop's cool now, I rap really good. He goes, he's always giving props to the fact that it was created by people who we look down on. And that is the difference between rap and MCing. As an MC, as a breaker, as a DJ in hip hop culture, you have to point out that your number one responsibility is to point out that those who seem to be have nots have value. That is equal or greater to anything that than you would think they would have. Yeah. So right shout on. out to Eminem for that part. And he's nice as an MC, but that's not all it's about. We're talking with a uh, rap poet and uh, Hydro, our in-house hip hop experts. Uh, Nick Bruski, yeah, I got one last question, but do you, uh, you you got any thoughts for the uh, the gentleman here? Uh, am I, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated. I mean, I could listen to it for a long time. I took some notes down. I'm going to watch some more stuff. I hope we could talk again sometime, uh, as I watch more of the stuff that you've mentioned, I, I made some notes and stuff like that. Like, I'm just fascinated with it all. Like, it, I didn't know it was so complex. I mean, I, I knew a little bit of it, but there's a lot of complexities to this whole art form, uh, the inclusivity of it all. And the respect of it all, I love. So, yeah, I appreciate you guys being on today. And, yeah, like I said, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. Well, I was, any- yeah, I was telling the guys before the show started, there's a great documentary that you can find on YouTube from VH1 called New York 77, The Coolest Year in Hell. And there is uh, a law. I mean, they talked to Bambada. They talked to KRS-One. They talked to Kaz, DJ Wiz. They, I mean, they talked to everybody in, in there. And that's that's part of, like, the whole year of New York 77, which touches upon the city being bankrupt and the kid, and, the, and money, no money for schools and no police and that sort of thing. So if you guys get a chance, check out that documentary if you haven't, because I think you guys will really dig it. Nice. Yeah. Well, we all have drop, a good the drop the name in the chat so I can see. I can or, see you got it. Yeah, right on. So here's my uh, my final question for you guys. I just saw this news story. I think it was this morning, and it's just uh, I I can't tell if it's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, we're talking about the fact that hip hop originated in the African American community, but it's expanded beyond that in all sorts of ways. So the U.S. Army. I don't know if you guys heard the story or not, but a U.S. Army marching band put out an ad looking for rappers to add to the U S marching band and two guys signed up for the army so that they could take this opportunity. And now they're featured performers in this military marching band. So is that, is that part of the evolution of all of this? Or is that weird that the army is sort of co-opting hip hop and rap? I think it's weird. <laughs> but, <laughs> you, know, um, you know, the army doesn't, you know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to do it. They're going to recruit, man. They're going to get them. <laughs> I've seen recruiters in the wildest places, man. So 
the organizations are going to get who they're going to get, you know, so hip hop is going to get who they're going to get. The army is going to get who they're going to get. The radio industry will get who they get. So everybody has to walk their own path. Um, I think it's, I, I didn't, I didn't, I never heard of that. So it's pretty interesting, but it, yeah, it's a brand uh, new news story. So check it out. Yeah. But yeah. I'm, I'm it sure there's been soldiers. One thing I will say is that that um, doesn't surprise me because hip hop has become a worldwide thing. And yeah. just to tie back from earlier, it, it's not accidental or coincidental, um, you know, Bambada and those guys in the Zulu nation took that uh, Planet Rock on a tour around the world and set up um, set up chapters of the Zulu nation around the world. So all of this hip hop that you see in Africa and Europe around the planet um, is not by coincidence. It was it was supposed to be that way. And if you study history, right. if you study some of the early civilizations, man, like some of those hieroglyphs look like graffiti. You know, some of mm -hmm. those some of those depictions that we see in some of these ancient civilizations and some of the practices and cultures that they had look very hip hop ish to me. You know, uh, I've even heard of stuff being found in in you know in, in Greenland and Iceland where those guys were like practicing a form of like almost like battle rapping. They were like reading stuff that they wrote to like slander each other and like but ingest in a very in a very literal, uh, in a very artistic manner. So, you know, this is just hip hop now, but it's always been here, you know, because, yeah. um, you know, as my, as the brother KRS once said, it's hip hop is a very natural thing. We've just attached this name to it, but mm -hmm. all the stuff that we do in hip hop and all the four elements is just a movement of life, right? From the break dancing to the graph, to the actual chanting and spitting lyrics to, you know, the actual beats, you know, we've been hip hop since, we was inside the womb hearing that that beat yeah so, yeah there you go that's yeah. deep rap poet what do you think the uh rappers yeah. in an army band what's your i, I two agree cents? i agree and i'm absolutely 100 percent sure there have been mcs and b-boys and b-girls in the army for decades ever yeah. since the 70s and 80s because some of the people on the front lines in the armies are people who come out of impoverished neighborhoods right yeah. Where again, hip hop was not just, it is this collective unconscious thing, but in particular, it's something that literally makes people feel valuable in our capitalist society. Look not just they're in the army. They're marching and chanting. And, and not just a coping mechanism. Like that's, you guys gotta understand why did they said hip hop was being a trend and it's about to be 50 next year. What I keep stressing is there's this special thing about it, which is that it wasn't just up till now, even to this day, a lot of people have coping mechanisms and paradigms of psychology for dealing with stress and PTSD and so forth. But not many people have come up with a paradigm like hip hop does, where you're not just coping, you actually feel like the most valuable living in the moment, living your purpose, excelling on this planet version of you. That's what hip hop does. When you're in a cypher, when you're dancing, when you're rapping, when you're doing graffiti, it makes you feel like, oh, damn, I'm, I'm in the projects and I'm less, but I'm getting by. No, it makes you feel like, damn. And that's why other people have wanted to come to the projects and to dangerous neighborhoods and to poor places to get a stamp of approval from hip hop artists, right? So we know that a lot of people who join the military are looking for a way to get their college 
uh, paid for and make money and don't have a lot of options and they go to the military. So duh, of course, a lot of them, a lot of people in the military are familiar with hip hop and probably got some nasty MCs and all that. Yeah. Now the matter of officially the army recognizing hip hop in that way is <laughs> like anything else. It's good and bad. It just it just raises the stakes, right? On one hand, you could just have somebody who's whacking it like, yeah, I'm hip hop, I'm rapping. I don't know if they said hip hop or rap, but we already established the, yeah, the, yeah. the spectrum of that. But if they're claiming hip hop, we know that hip hop principles, like I said, peace, love, unity, and safely having fun, right? Well, when you ask people outside of this conversation with hip hop is, what do they say? Sex, drugs, violence, and money. Exorbitant, yeah. wasteful money, right? Yeah. In hip-hop, we draw an arrow from sex to love, from violence to peace. From each of these sex, drugs, violence, and money, we draw a one-way arrow to peace, love, unity, and fun because we're trying to decriminalize youth and people who are caught up in these things. They're, they're just into sex. They're in drugs. They're in we know that there's a human urge that is universal, peace, love, unity, and fun, but not everybody sees access strategies, right? So when you look at breaking, MC and DJing, writing, um, like Hydro said, beatboxing, we also have knowledge, educating, which we're doing with each other right now. People also include street fashion, right? You see the fashion and hip hop. Uh, some have even gone up to a 10th element, health and wellness how far you want to take it. But it all has this thing in common of, are you showing people that the in, you have an inner value that is more important. And the, our US military at least spends way more money every year on tools of war than they do on tools of education. But what is the justification? We're trying to create what? Peace right? We need these weapons and these tools for war for peace. Well, what hip hop does is we create these ciphers where you don't just say, everybody be nice to each other. No, the b-boys and b-girls, they flipping each other off. They getting each other's face. The rappers are doing this. And outside it looks like, oh, this is so terrible. But no, in boxing and basketball and football, what do you do when someone comes to scoring your point? You block their way. You try to steal the ball from them. You try to hit them. And emceeing and dancing and hip-hop culture, you let them do whatever they want to do while it's their turn. It teaches you to let people express and not criminalize them for being angry, for being sad, for wanting to be competitive. And then when it's your turn, you respond and you get in their face and you do whatever they want. And at the end, you piece it up, which is why hip-hop is one of the mm -hmm. best paradigms for nonviolent response to impression. Which yeah. again is a whole other radio show and a whole other lecture. <laughs> but if the military can tap into what hip hop really does, how it decriminalizes people, how it finds commonality between white, black, and everybody since the beginning in these ciphers, and how it says, look, we see that sex is an expression towards love. You want connection. We see that money is an expression towards value. If there's other ways to be valued, everyone doesn't need to be so money hungry about the price per se. Yeah. Right. If the, if the military can get into that, then go ahead. Yeah. Let's, let's <laughs> These are some deep thoughts. I, I like what you say. We'll just have uh, more rap battles and less. Can you imagine? Right. That'd be a good thing. Yeah. Wouldn't that be a fun way? Yeah. Yeah. Vladimir, Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> that's where we're going. That's, that's, that's all right. I'm going to try to get you guys in the UN so we can uh, propose all of this stuff. So, all and right. Hip hop has been to the UN. There is a declaration of, of hip hop 
in the UN. And shout out to Minister Serving KRS One. You could find that online. Nice, right on. Uh, and Tony of online. Blackman. Let me not leave out my sister Tony Blackman. Google Tony Blackman. Google Minister Server. Google the Hip Hop Declaration of Peace. Right on. And how can people find you guys? Uh, Instagram, websites, anything if they want to know more about either of you. Uh, we are we are a rap group. We were part of a rap collective. We've recently um, connected, but we have individual um, individual ways to uh, find us. I am at Hydro H Y D R O the number eight S I X T Y Hydro eight sixty. That's on all social media platforms. And uh, I'm also part of a four man rap band. So much, you know, Eminem, Eminem and, uh, influenced me to get my own rap band. Yeah. Nice. So I have the backpack. You can find us making, uh, you know, spreading peace, love, unity and safety, having fun. One boom bat rap at a time. And that is the backpack. T-H-E-B-A-P-P-A-C-K on all social media platforms. Album be ready on it on the way nice mm, super back, cool rap back, poet back. how do we find you just simply r-a poet one p r-a-p-o-e-t that's twitter that's instagram and i think facebook is the rap poet like how you have the backpack yeah but, yeah yeah Very i'm out cool. here and 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 uh i gotta bounce to this show tonight but it's been really an honor and i really appreciate the diligence that y'all have spent um, Brewski, I could tell you did a lot of research, um, what we call primary research, you know, you can't, sure. you can't just talk about hip hop, as you know, Brewski, like I, and I heard what you said, you kind of, a lot of, a lot of people talk about, um, objective research. That's not real. There's a lot of racial and class issues that come together with unrecognized prejudice. So when you jump in a cipher and you engage in honest discussion, like y'all gentlemen have today, that's a hip hop conversation. We demonstrated that element of, of knowledge in hip hop. And um, I just want to say it was an honor to be here and, and I'll be glad to connect with y'all in the future. Absolutely. Uh, it was an honor to have you guys. I love having an open conversation like this. I hope, uh, I hope some people learn some things. So uh, yeah, let's keep it going. Next time, uh, next time we have an issue like this, I'd be happy to reach back out to you guys. Yeah. It's getting cold out here in Connecticut too, man. So yeah. I might <laughs> And come see you in studio. Tickets, yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm I'm up in Boston, so I, I know what you're talking about with the weather. Okay. Oh, okay. I'm gonna be in, oh okay. listen again. Uh, shout out, shout out, um, Boston. I'll be in Boston um, starting October 5th to do some teaching Word. at the uh, Frederick G. Uh, Pilot Middle School uh, with Pendulum Inc. That's Mickey Fax, the great legendary Mickey Fax Grammy Award winner for his pen on Kanye West's uh, masterpiece, Donda, and the great battle rap uh, legend, Chilla Jones from Boston. Uh, Chilla Jones and Mickey Fax have created a school for lyricism. I am a 41-year-old student of the game, so I wanted to step my pen up even further than where it is now. And uh, now I will be teaching these um, techniques and hip hop uh, writing to youth in the Boston area. So I'm very excited. Nice. I'll connect with you, man, so we can get together while I'm here. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Thanks for doing that. Appreciate it. All right, yeah, gentlemen, gentlemen. We thank appreciate you so it. much. Yeah, appreciate you all very much. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Yes, Absolutely. yes, indeed. Yeah. Yes.
please uh, we'll, we'll right. stay connected via uh, email and all of that stuff. But yeah. definitely love this, man. Um, you know, it's very special when people bring you into their platform, bring you into their cipher. Thank you for bringing me and Rap Poet into your cipher. And, and in turn, we brought you into our cipher. And now appreciate you know, it. we'll keep that going because, you know, you the circle doesn't stop. It doesn't have a beginning or an ending. So we'll, we'll yeah. keep the conversation. There you go. Round and round we go. All right. Well, I super well, appreciate well, it. Rap Poet, take it easy. We will all chat another time. And uh, yeah, all right. Well, there you go. What, what a conversation, we... dude. That was quite a conversation. I'm, you know, uh, I mean, I think it went a lot deeper than you were thinking it was going to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that was uh, questions from Crosby. That's my 12-year-old son that just sparked that hour-long chat about culture <laughs> and hip-hop and <laughs> racial tensions and issues and everything else. So yeah, there you go. I, uh, I love the, uh, you know, I love the vibe of the whole conversation. I mean, I was, uh, uh, only wondering, oh, when, uh, their cameras popped on, I was like, oh, what are they thinking? We're going to be actually talking about here. And they see the three of us and they want to have the conversation and right off the bat, they made the comment of like, Hey, these are the conversations that we need to be having. I appreciate that, dude. I, th I I was compelled by everything that was happening in that. I was a little bit lost in it. I agree. Mm. In a good way. And yeah, yeah you know, for sure. It, it can be a little awkward for a couple of white dudes to try to have a conversation about hip hop culture and why it started with, you know, the black community and all that. And shouldn't uh, be. Well, it, that's my point, though. Like, this is why we do it so that we can put this kind yeah. of stuff out here and destigmatize it and show that, you know, we're all humans, man. Like, let's talk music and uh, all that stuff. So that's cool. And Bruce, I didn't know what a hip hop expert you were. You got a few shout outs there. You feeling good about that? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, yeah, it's it's cool. It's, it, I mean, I, I wasn't trying to like show off or anything like that. It's just it's no. something that well, it's something that 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 I've always been into, uh, but not just on the music side of things, but but also kind of from a history standpoint, where the country was in the early seventies when he was talking about New York city, not having any money and that sort of thing. And then you also had, you know, the non-veterans coming back hooked on heroin yeah. And, yeah. and, and, yeah. and it was just so many things that, that brought, that brought, uh, brought about what he was talking about yeah. with hip hop history um, that I didn't want to just start jumping into the history stuff. So I just kept it. No, you, on the hip hop things. You chimed in enough to sound intelligent on the topic, so that was good. <laughs> and hey, it turns out my original answer was actually not too bad. I got no, it pretty close. No. Right? Yeah, yeah it was fairly close, dude. I think you feel pretty good about that. Are you going to show that interview to Crosby? Yeah, we didn't discuss my sex life at all, so I'll, I'll show it to my son. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I was and thinking. You, and you know, by the way, on your point, Steve, about your answer, there's a song by a hip hop artist called Freeway called African drums that uh -huh. you might it's, it's actually I mean the song itself is just amazing um but it, he talks about drums in Africa and, and all that yeah. sort of thing see so it makes you, me you, nervous whenever I start bringing up like tribes as I'm talking about like sure. am I stepping in some but no but I think there's I think it's genuine that every culture no matter how isolated it is forms some sort of music and the most primitive is a basic drum beat and some sort of not singing, not talking, somewhere in between. So made sense to me. I don't know. Allow me to play for you the music of my people. 
That's just a phrase that, oh, that I thought everyone... you were about to rap. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no, no, no. But 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 that's 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 just a way to to start a conversation that yeah. to share music with other people that maybe they they've never heard before. Yeah. Nope. Hey, I dude. Agree. When I went to, have either of you guys gone and seen Elvis yet? The movie. Yes, I have. Did what? Did Brisky? I have not, but I. So I have friends who saw it, and some of them, most of them, liked it. Uh, some of them had a problem with the. I guess there's a part How long where like, it was. No, well, no, but they there's supposed to be some some hip hop in it. Like when they're showing like Elvis living a fast life, and they they have like a hip hop beat underneath it. And I just thought that was ticky tack on their part, bitching about it. But other than that, I yeah, I, I think there was. That, but... I think there was a reason for that. It was very small, but I thought that the. You know, I, I uh, Steve and I, I guess all three of us, it worked at an oldie station where we played a lot of Elvis back in our early radio days. And I know quite a bit about Elvis. So I was interested to go see the movie. And I wondered how in depth they would go into it. And uh, I thought they did a good job, dude, of showing the fact that, you know, Elvis pretty much ripped off all of his music from black culture. <laughs> right. And and I think that was kind of why that they had placed some hip hop beats in some of the stuff was sure. they were I think they were just paying homage to where a lot of his mo music and moves came from. Well, let's remember that really they always say the real king of rock and roll is a gay black man from the south. Yeah, right. Little Richard. Yeah, little you, Richard. you know, highly yeah. underrated Little Richard. Listen, the Elvis movie was slightly too long, but it was a good movie all in all. <laughs> but it it brings up a good point that Elvis did kind of rip it off from the uh, the black community, and then Elvis got ripped off by the colonels. So there was a lot of ripping yeah. off going on in that movie. And, and that's know, the that, music business, dude. Have, oh, have you guys ever yeah. heard Sister Rosetta Tharp? No. Yes. Sister Rosetta Tharp, um, gets, she's a guitar player, and this is like early fifties, and she sings Hound Dog. Yes. And she, and to hear her sing it, it's actually a lot of fun to hear how well, it she has sings way it. more soul to it and way way more uh, emotion. And you can tell where the it wasn't a fun oldie. You know what I mean? It wasn't no. necessarily a fun oldie. It was written out of you know more pain and life experience. And you can hear it when she sings it. So yeah, but. Yeah, no, I think that uh, that was a cool interview, dude. I, yeah. Thanks for getting those two on, dude. That was it. Was nice to have two of them on, and yeah. uh, I thought they were both good. That was a good uh, little Hydro party. Yeah. If Hydro reaches out, wasn't what? If Hydro reaches out to me when he's here in Boston, and I get together with him, I'll take some video for you guys, yeah, and I'll, I'll you should I'll, totally do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you definitely should, dude. We'll put it on the podcast. I hope you go see him. <laughs> I will. I will. As long as you reach, I mean, I followed both of them on Instagram while they were telling us the addresses. And so, yeah. Cool. Right on. Uh, speaking of social media, uh, are we ready to shift gears here? Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. I just, uh, I want to circle back to our social media real quick here at the, uh, the start of the show. I was talking about the fact that, uh, we've launched on all of our social media platforms. We're on, uh, we're on TikTok, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter and, uh, we're on YouTube, which is not really social media, but you know, we're on there as well. I, I had the realization, you know, the name of our show was the vocal minority. I was wondering if either of those guys was going to ask us about that. Cause it has nothing to do with race. Obviously the vocal minority, 
uh, back in the call-in radio days was the audience, the people that uh, got involved, because the majority of people listening to a radio show will never call in. But the minority do, and they get really vocal, and they have a lot of opinions. So when we did a call-in show, that's where we featured a lot of you, was, you know, answering the phone lines. I had the realization that the modern-day equivalent of the vocal minority is really the comment section on any social media platform. It's where everyone has a voice, and everyone chimes in, and no one puts a filter on themselves, apparently. (laughs) It's easier to chime in that way, right, and be an asshole. I mean, the vocal minority says things on chat, you know, keyboard warrior that, you know, you wouldn't say most of the time if you were a decent person when you were talking to someone. (laughs) It's just like uh, all your free free. Uh, thoughts come out just on the keyboard because there's no repercussions. Yes. You know, the anonymity of hiding behind a keyboard really lets people yes. uh, spout off. Yeah. But I think it's kind of fun. And Nick and I were saying that as people started commenting on some of our social media stuff, like, don't, I don't want to go on the app itself and reply. I want to go here on the airwaves and reply. Seems yes. like fun. And it seems like highlighting the vocal minority, literally. Yes, so. I think so, for sure. So here's the deal. Find us on all those platforms. We've been sharing full-length episodes. We've been doing interview segments like the one we just did. I'll end up posting that just as the interview itself. Uh, But then we've been posting just like, you know, 60-second clips of the show to try to, you know, get it out there. And there's been a couple that have generated some comments. And I just thought maybe we'd uh, run through a couple of comments and I'd uh, let you and me and I'll uh, reply. Yeah, let's do that, Stephen. All right. So the first video that we posted on TikTok I don't even quite understand how TikTok works because the first video we posted, I mean, it blew up. It got not blew up millions, but, you know, over a thousand people watch this thing. And then we have other videos that, you know, it's a few hundred people that watch it. So um, I'm trying to figure out the algorithm and what people are into and all that. Well, good luck with that. It'll take a while. It's yeah, it's been fun. But that first, I think the first video that you were talking about is an easy one to get a lot of views with because it was political. Yeah. Politics tends to piss people off as it should. We're living in a very divisive time and you're sort of in one camp or the other. And, And as I was taught years ago on the radio, if you're not pissing people off, you're not doing your job right. People should either love you or hate you. And so far, so good. Because some people love us, some people seem to hate us. So. Evoking some emotion. And indifference is the worst emotion. Yeah. That's right. There you go. So, okay, so we posted one of the videos where we were talking about the fact that we feel the Trumpers have taken over the American flag. That when you see a flag hanging out the back of somebody's pickup truck, you know damn well they're a Trump supporter and not not a Biden fan or whatever, Am I, right? Sure. Yeah. Yes. When you see a uh, woman at the river wearing an American flag bikini, you know that she's probably more than likely a Trump supporter. And by the way, wearing the American flag, Brewski, is that a violation of the flag protocols? Absolutely. It's it's a complete violation of flag code. Flag code actually states that the flag should never be worn as wearing apparel, uh, draperies or bedding. Right. And it's under it's under the that's very specific. It's 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 actually under it's under the subheading of respect for the flag, a subsection D or E, I believe, of of US flag code. So it's fun when someone like Kid Rock is up on stage, you know, preaching, you know, being a good American while he's literally cut a hole in American flag and wearing it as a sweaty poncho. Exactly. Yes. Have you seen my have you seen my post? Is that is that that where this comes from? Yes. I'm setting I'm teeing you up here. Come on. Oh, okay. (laughs) So anyways. So the point of our post was yeah, the Trumpers seem to be kind of taken over the American flag, and we as liberals don't like that. 
Uh, one person commented that, quote, he said, uh, just because we, he must be conservative, just because we use our flag doesn't mean that you need to be mad about it. Now, part of my point in that post was I do use the American flag. I have a big piece of artwork in my living room downstairs, but then it makes me feel weird. I'm afraid some people may walk into my home and think I'm a Trumper. But part of my point was, uh, yeah, we, we do use the American flag. And by the yeah. way, wh what is the obsession with the Trumpers of the Trump brigades, the trains? Like, I, I voted for Biden, but you're never going to catch me with a Biden flag waving off my car. I don't understand where this enthusiasm comes from well it's trashy dude i mean i mean i i hate to be a dick but it's trashy right and i mean it's uh it's cult -like. it's a sign of worship i mean it's it's yes. it's, it's it's really just emotionally sick i think it is why why would you ever have a flag of an american flag or don't tread on me or you know why would you ever put those on the back of your pickup truck and cruise down the road because you want fucking attention and you want people yeah. to call you yep. out and you so you can be like i'm a god fearing american and i love my country uh yeah i do too i love my wife i don't fucking yell it when i'm in a crowded <laughs> building you, you know have what a I racial mean? flag on your car yeah. <laughs> i mean like gosh let dude. me connect a dot for you real quick here so most of these trumpers with the big flags they're hanging off the back of their big old pickup trucks right yes two things in yep. common there and it's the same thing it's a little dick Guys with yeah. big pickup trucks are compensating. They have an inferiority complex. Same with the Trump flags. You guys feel inferior, so you have to yes. over-exaggerate it all. Look how big my flag is. Look how big my truck is. Because yeah. you your know where dick is so little. Well, yeah, yeah, you know where it comes from, the inferiority complex for them. I just told comes you, from, little dicks, yes. No, no, it comes, it, comes from the man, it comes from the man himself, from Trump. Because he's mm. been such a failure his entire life. His family has had to prop him up and pay off his debts all the time. And and actually it got to the point where his siblings actually had to take away control of uh, his control from the family money because he was spending all of Fred Trump's money. Yeah. And they cut mm. they covered up a Donald all the time. Nothing was of a Donald's fault. That's why he has the victim complex that he does. Oh, it's so unfair. Everyone's so unfair to me. Because he's never been held accountable for any of these things, and he's been a failure. Yeah. Here's one comment that says, <laughs> "Little Americana." Uh, it says, it, "It's uh, someone says it's odd that you think that we did not steal your flag. You guys actively hate America. Your party hates America." Again, my point was I have an American flag in my house, and we don't hate this country. We love it. We're just not. American sexual or something. We're not just overly, you know, I don't jerk off to the American flag. It seems like it well, makes, you do. It makes, it makes zero sense. And this is all just Trump rhetoric of, you know, this new Republican party of Trump on a stage, hugging the American flag, yeah. you know, like, uh, yeah, you're hugging the flag. Uh, but you had uh, somebody, a doctor, get you out of fighting for this country that you love so much. It's just all rhetoric. It's easy it's to say. It's all for show. Yes. It's all for show. It's so funny how many people in this conversation since Trump was in office, uh, you know, talk about vets and everything. And I have the fortunate situation of my wife actually being a vet. So... You know, I, I watch her have conversations with people who have never fought for this country, 
come on and be like, we need to do this for our vets and our vets are being shit on and everything like that. And watching my wife have the conversation because she's been there, like you guys have no fucking clue what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. And again, you're using that as a piece for you to jump ahead as, oh, we love our country more than anything. But yeah, you're not willing to fight for it. I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. I have a few friends who are vets and uh, your, your wife is one of them. And I'm not talking about people that take care of dogs, uh, people that are veterans <laughs> served in the army. <laughs> right. And they've told me the same thing. Like when it comes to like the Kaepernick protest, taking a knee during the national anthem, you know, they've told me, listen, we went to fight for that basic American right to protest. So yes. you're actually not disrespecting the flag. You're honoring the right to protest. And Absolutely. I'm also sick of hearing conservatives say like, you know, liberals, when they, when they protest, they, you know, they burn down cities and whatnot, which is, you know, an exaggeration, but they get pissed if we uh, protest by blocking a bridge or, uh, you know, gathering in some city, but then they get pissed if we quietly take a knee on the sideline too. They're, they're just pissed that we're protesting and actually being American, being what the flag represents. There's no way for uh, there's no way for us to do it appropriately because we disagree and you cannot take that at all. Colin Kaepernick sat down and talked to it was a vet that told him to kneel. It wasn't mm. he was sitting originally and a, a vet reached out to him and said, like, hey, you know what? It'd be more respectful if you actually kneeled. Well, I don't agree with not standing for the anthem, like that would be a respectful way for you to do it. And I believe in it because that's what I was fighting for over there. So uh, it was a vet who told him, kneel, and that'll show more respect for the flag. You're not just sitting there, but you'll be making your point. But that's not good enough for all those people who aren't vets who have never fought. They're like, fuck that. You stand for the flag. And I don't know why I always go into a redneck, uh, <laughs> like, but it, it is, it's, I mean, it's just so, I can't make logic of it, dude. I just well, can't. My, my whole thing with, with those folks is that they don't want, when they say that we hate America, what yeah. they, what they have a problem with is that we, we will actually speak about things that America is doing wrong. And, and we acknowledge that, that, that we do make mistakes and how are we going to fix them and how are we going to make things better for them? Unless you're like America can do no wrong. And, and unless yes. you have that, that mindset, 100%. then that means that that means that you hate America in their eyes. And yeah, they're, they're saying that they're the freedom lovers, but when we use our freedom to say something they don't like, all of a sudden we should be shut down. Yeah. Yeah. But you guys, uh, well, and I am separating. I'm saying, you know, what you're saying that, like, if you think things are wrong with it when they do, because they do, you're 100% on mark with that, Bruce. They say, uh, if you don't like it, get the fuck out. Well, there's a ton of things that you all don't like either. Right. Uh, but you're not bitching about them when we're having this talk about how great America is. America is, uh, uh, we've had our problems. Since the beginning, this country was built on problems and sure. fixing them yes. as we evolve. What kind of marriage would you have if you just said, that, oh, this marriage is perfect? I'm never going to work on it. I'm never going to work to make it better. Right. Uh, it's just, I don't get it, dude. This country did that for a long time. We were all about yes. advancing and striving for greatness and the next goal. And then somehow we just sort of stopped that and put it in neutral. And now we're just spinning mud everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
you know, there's a there's a great line in the movie called The American President, um, starring Michael Douglas, where he says, America is advanced citizenship. You've got to want it and you've got to want it bad. And and it is. America is very complex. And we need to understand that it's not always going to be black or white. There's going to be grays and, and we are going to have our warts. But it's how do you acknowledge them and and improve upon them? And make the country better, not make excuses for it, and not cover up its warts. Yeah, yeah. that's what advancement is: progress, not perfection. People, you can't yes. have perfection, but we got to have progress. So, yep. Hey, dude, are we a great country? We have a lot of things that are great about this country. Sure. Some of the things that we have in this country that are great are better than anyone in the world. This whole, but this whole thought that we are the greatest nation ever when we fail to look at other countries that are doing things better than we are and why we would not look to that as an example to be like, Oh, we could be doing that too. The arrogance of America for a long time has just become so out of control. Best nation ever. There's a lot of people that are doing it better than we are, dude. Sure. And if we could learn from them, we could continue to grow as a country and get better. I don't know why we have to say that we are the best. Hey, we're a great country. That's the truth. But I don't know why. Best? I don't know. We're just, in a lot of areas, we are. In a lot of areas, we're not. Absolutely true. And I don't know when becoming progressive became a, a bad thing. You know, yes. it, 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 yeah. we're supposed to be progressive progress. That's the whole point. It's somehow that yeah. got yes. demonized that us crazy liberals just want to make things better. And the same <laughs> thing. You guys are running on a, a platform of make America great again. Like you guys want progress too. It's right. just kind of a <laughs> shitty progress. You want. That's a really good point. Nick. The part of their, their slogan <laughs> embodies progressive, you know, yes. if we're trying to be great again, you got to make progress. Right. But, yeah. Yeah, right. that's funny. Uh, just so we know, there are several people in the comments that agree with us that have said, like, you know, uh, your facts speaking the truth, totally agree. Yeah. Like, you know, this really has become a thing where they've taken over the flag. So, but, you know. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What, what was our other good posts here? We had another political one. Um, if Trump, if Trump was Pinocchio, his nose would stretch the width of America. Well, okay. That's profound. <laughs> that's deep. <laughs> and uh let's see what else what was the other good one here uh oh somebody we were talking about green politics last week about the fact that hybrid cars aren't perfect but again they're progress not perfection so we should be right you know putting our efforts into it and solving the problems that come up yeah this is a good example of uh, you know liberals uh being in a circular firing squad like obama warned us all not to do Uh, So this guy agrees with us as far as like, you know, progress, not perfection, green economy is a good thing. But then he said, uh, this is so, this is so unbiased. Engine tech has increased so much that we have hydrocarbon based fuel. That is a net zero carbon gain. There's your real solution. Okay. I get what you're saying, sir, or madam, or neither, but again, none of the efforts right now are into hydrocarbon based fuels. You know, that's not what Tesla is doing. It's not what Ford's doing. Like, could that be a solution somewhere down the road? Yeah, maybe, but we've got, we got a whole thing unfolding in front of us. We got to foster that up. And then if we can get to an even better form of fuel, I'm all for it, but let's not out, but you know, let's not out liberal ourselves. Okay. We're making progress well, here. Well, <laughs> right. And, and I, th- I think that if we, if we really want people to have electric cars and charging their cars, 
and people complain about, well, what about the stress on the grid? Well, why don't you have solar panels on everyone's houses with batteries in the people's houses as well? You come home, you plug your car in, and it's drawing the power from those batteries to charge your car that you got from the sun. And then that way you're not pulling any power from the grid. I think it's a wonderful conversation to have. I I often think that we as privileged people don't always think about, uh, you know, there's folks out there that, you know, if they're, they blow their tire, that $50 uh, changes their entire month of finances and they may not be able to eat. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many areas uh, in this country that are so poor and impoverished that to get to something like that is, I, I mean, yeah. I, I can't ever see it actually happening. I don't, that, and that's what doesn't give me a lot of hope in the fact that, you know, we were talking about electric cars and it's starting in California and it's going all the way up the West Coast now that people are like, yep, we're going to be on board with that and that it'll start moving over. But it's when we get to the middle of our country that we're going to, I think, at least I feel, have a lot of problems with this expanding nationwide. I mean, gas is definitely here to stay. We're dragging them along. That's the whole point of the biggest part of the country, you know, California. I understand, but we're going to have to reach those people who, you know, you can reach them on the side of the road when their uh, cars run out of gas. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, you know, Nick, a little bit to your point there. I mean, I'm dealing with it right now. I, my car, you know, was in a recent, in an accident recently, an Uber thing. Yeah. And, um, because of the insurance, I have to pay a $2,500 deductible yeah. to, to the body shop. And so they called me today and they said, Hey, your car's ready. You can pick it up tomorrow. Well, that's awfully nice, but I- I'm still kind of scrambling to put together the 2,500 bucks to be able to pay my portion of the, the deductible, the, the, the yeah. deductible to, get, yeah. to get my, my car back. I just you know? went through this exact same thing. It took me it took me almost three months to get my car repaired. I got hit by a deer. It damaged multiple quarter panels. So, and they originally told me it could take up to six months because of all the COVID-related part delays and yeah. labor shortages. And how long did it take you to get your car fixed? Uh, almost a month. Oh, see, you're pretty lucky then. I mean, back well, in the good old I, days, it would take a week. But yeah, well, bigger city, I, right? I I know, but the, I also didn't have several quarter panels what i had was my front hood was was dented and um i had a bumper that had to be replaced and a windshield that needed to be replaced mm. as well so it wasn't as extensive damage wise um although if you saw my windshield <laughs> we you look bad dude i was I, worried about you when you sent me the pictures i was like uh, well both of you and your accidents when you sent me the pictures i was like are you okay? <laughs> like, yeah, uh, but for that, me, a, a deer bounced off my car. Brewski, what bounced off your car? Uh, a 20-year-old um, scooter driver. <laughs> right. Was it a scooter or a moped? It's it, it's a it's it's a scooter like like a um like a Vespa. Oh, okay, but not the kind you stand up on like a razor no. scooter. Yeah, no, no, okay. no, no. Because no, so, I hit a guy. The- I mean, come on, how did that end? A guy well, hit Brewski. Let's be clear. Oh, yes. Okay, I was making, I was making a left turn. He was going at 50 miles an hour on a scooter and mind you that Damn. scooter he rides was riding is capable of going 90 miles an hour Ooh, I up, that's a heck of a moped yeah. yeah i i actually i actually looked at the tech specs based on the the vin from from the police report of the scooter 
and wow. the top speed on that is 90 miles an hour. And yeah. I was making that left turn and they came out of nowhere. They hit the front of my car. It's two guys on a scooter. They went across the hood of my car. The, the, the person who was at the controls of the scooter hit my windshield, bounced off my windshield. They both flew off to the left. They both did a 360 in the air and hit the ground. No oh. airbag deployment? No. No. Well, you got no. lucky there. For exactly. you either, Harness. You got lucky too, dude. I mean, I just... I got I, real I, lucky. I, that deer almost came through my front windshield. So yes. yeah. Wow. It was head on. I thought it was like when you said it hit you, I thought it hit you on the side. Well, it did, but I was going 55 miles per hour. So if I had been just a half a <laughs> second slower, it would have hit right on the front of my car. And uh, yeah, it hit right on the front on the side, smashed its yeah. head in the windshield, and then just tumbled down the side of the car, just trashing every quarter panel. It was it was crazy. Now, no, it wouldn't no, have been no. as bad if it would have hit the other side, dude. Did, did you say? Did you take the deer? <laughs> did a you take inside the deer joke home? There, sorry. Did I take the deer? Yeah, I threw it in my trunk, and uh, <laughs> nice. we had some venison burgers that night. Obviously, I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't just let it sit there on the side of the road. I, no, this was California, not Nevada. So <laughs> Nevada will let you take anything off the side of the road. California. And it was still dark permits. outside, wasn't it? It was like five in the morning. Yeah, it was. Oh yeah. man. Yeah. No, that was fun. So yeah. Good times. All right. Speaking of our social media postings and all that, I, I do have an update on something that we posted that did get quite a few views. I'm gonna say at least a thousand between the couple of platforms that we posted it on. Give it to us, Harness. Give it to yeah. us. Well, so the uh, the, the clip was about uh, to text or not to text. And we were debating. Oh, Oh, when, yes. when should I be reaching out to this woman? You know, uh, on previous episodes, we've gone over the fact that I've recently been through a crazy breakup and I'm single again and getting back out in the dating world. But, you know, like three years ago, before I was in my last relationship, I had met this uh, lawyer from Reno. We had a first date the first week of March 2020. Had and it was a good first date. It was phenomenal. Yeah. My friend is great. Absolutely wonderful. Phenomenal. It's wonderful. Those are all correct ways to describe the first date. It was, it was sparks flew. Uh, we were both, we had a great time, two plus hour dinner. We set up a second date. Uh, we kissed at the end of the whole thing. Like it was a real oh, deal. Nice. Yeah. But again, this was the first week of March, 2020. So the second week of March, the world shut down from COVID. Yeah. What a and bummer, that, dude. Bad uh, timing. It was so awkward because, you know, we had no real foundation to build on for trying to do some sort of distance thing, you know, yeah. we had this great first date, but we don't really know each other super well. So we spent the first two months of COVID trying like texting back and forth every few days. Uh, I tried to come up with like, is there some FaceTime game we can play or like, I was trying so hard. You were and, uh, really trying dude. you were I coming was. up with all kinds of online games let answer a question i'll answer a question you yes. really tried to make it work i was because i was so into this woman and then you know the gap over those first couple of months of covid just kept getting bigger and bigger and then i met hillary the woman who i you know went through this two plus year relationship with so i told uh, i told the the lawyer from reno that you know i'm really sorry but i i have met someone else and i feel like i have to pursue what's you know right in front of me and she's willing to come during COVID and meet in person. You and I, you know, said we weren't. So, so yeah. So uh, two and a half years later, I go through this entire relationship, this breakup. And as I've told Nick, and as maybe as I mentioned on the air here, like never quite forgot about that attorney. And every time I would have some bad fight with my ex, I would start to wonder like, 
did I make the wrong choice? Should I have waited a little longer? <laughs> Should I have, you know, waited out the great pandemic? So, so as I'm getting back in the dating world, in we've fact, all been... your ex even asked you. Yeah. And you know, what's so weird. I brought that up in therapy yesterday and my therapist commented on that. So a couple of months ago, you know, my ex was so fascinated by my speed dating rounds, you know, three years ago, I date, I went on multiple, multiple first dates. One time I had seven first dates in five days. So double booked, you know, some of the days and nice. I, was just, I was just trying to meet as many single women within a two hour radius where I live as I can. Cause I figured it's a numbers game. You got to meet them all. So you can find out who's worthy of second dates. And yeah, my ex was fascinated by that. And a couple of months ago, she brought up to me, she said, Hey, remember that lawyer from Reno, like in your speed dating stuff? Like what if she was the one and it caught me off guard as to why she would bring that up. And my therapist, when I told her the story yesterday, she was like, oh, wow, like she's been over you for months then. And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, no woman would say something like that unless they were fishing or trying to, you know, push you out the door. Gauge yeah. The really? like, uh, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. So she brought it up, you know, what, if, what if she was the one and now you're here with me and I looked at her and I said, well, if she was the one, then why am I here with you? And now I'm not there with her anymore. When so, you said that, when you had to answer that question and it kind of caught you off guard, yeah. uh, was that the best thing that you could come up with in that moment? Or is that how you really felt at the time? Both. I mean, it was yeah. a good answer, I feel. And um, yeah. it was how I felt, you know, logically. <laughs> like, well, if she's the one, then why does fate have me here with you? Like, yes. But yeah, I never acknowledged to Hillary that I never quite forgot about this woman. Like, you know, and I'm not trying to paint some picture that i was obsessing on her and not faithful sure. to what i was doing but yeah every time things would go bad i always had this little thought in my head of like did you screw up big time by not waiting for that attorney you know i don't know so now that i'm back in the single world we've all been debating like when do i reach out to this woman is she single is she married is she dead did she gain 100 pounds did she go insane from covid like there were <laughs> so, so many possibilities and the dating coach last week told me, like, enough's enough. You're putting this woman on a pedestal. Yep. Just text her already and find out if she's even alive or what yes. the options are. So I uh, I struggled with it. I think this was last Tuesday. I reached out to Nick and told him, like, I'm chickening out of this, man. Like, I'm so nervous. <laughs> I don't want to mess this up. And um, is saying Sarah no to Vergiac, is that a completely outdated reference? Do you guys understand what that is? Say yeah, Sarah Serving out the Vergiac. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what was he, Bruski? Enlighten the audience. Well, if you've also seen the, the Steve Martin movie, Roxanne, yeah. then, then, then that, that, that's a great uh, uh, analogy of it. Uh, it's basically, you know, the guy with the really big nose who likes Roxanne, uh, but he thinks that she won't like him because of how he looks. And so he has he gives the he loads the lips of a, a good looking guy who basically kind of sweet talks her and that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying Nick has got some weird long nose. I'm saying that Nick was the man behind the scenes helping me, uh, you know, uh, be he was loading your lips. Yes. He was writing for me. So basically this first gotcha. night we're talking about the text. I tell Nick, I send him the text that I had planned to write to, uh, to the attorney. And, and uh, it said something like, you know, hi Sandy, <laughs> it's been a while. I guess my first question is, am I even saved in your phone? Like, do you know who this is? And I thought that was maybe a good coy sort of playful way to, to reach out to her. Uh, Nick, what was your thought? Nick just get like to it. it, dude. Just, I, you know, you can, <laughs> I, yeah, there's, this is not a game. Like, right. let's just say, let's go straight to it. We just did that. I told Steve, 
this because Steve is a classic overthinker. I mean, he overthinks everything. And yes. sometimes, you know, his end result is usually a good one, but he laments and, and, and goes through these gymnastics in his brain that it makes him suffer. So I'm like, look, dude, this does not need to be a long drawn out, uh, 20 question <laughs> thing. This should be about five lines and just boom, get it out and go. Yeah. So Nick wrote a text and sent it to me and was like, what do you think of this? And I was like, well, that's better than what I wrote, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think Nick sent me a meme of like the guy from Scream outside the house. She's he's like, Dude, she's going to don't play games. She's going to think you're in her basement calling. From do you know down who there, this so is? Right. <laughs> Hello? Do you know who I am anymore? Knock, the knock, call knock. is coming from inside the house. Exactly. Get out immediately. Exactly. So Nick convinced me, like, don't be coy about this. Just tell her who you are. So I basically I took Nick's text. I, I maybe I rewrote a couple of words, but Nick was my Sereno Vergiac and he he wrote the words for me. So last uh, Tuesday, because I wasn't going to do one on a football day because she's a devout football fan. Uh, so no Sundays, Mondays, or Thursdays. So last Tuesday, because I figured that gave us Tuesday and Wednesday. Absolutely. Uh, good good plan. I took the dating coach's advice. She said 7 to 9 o'clock at night is the ideal time to be, you know, reaching out to people because they're home and aren't doing things on some of those days. And Steve so anyway, told me, oh, it's 8 o'clock. I don't think it's going to happen. I said, he's going to do an hour, dude. And right? Steve was like, isn't after 8.30 a little rude? I said, send that fucking text, dude. Yeah. Are you saying I was overthinking this? Is that your <laughs> <Yes>. point? <is? laughs> so, yeah, I send the text off, and the evening comes and goes. I go to bed that night with no reply, and I'm thinking, well, obviously, uh, a great woman like that. I'm sure she's married. And, you know, or at least as a boyfriend or whatever it is. So uh, I think I reached out to you, right, Nick, and told you, like, I'm heading off to bed, but no response. Sorry. Yes. But then the next morning, I woke up to a text that said, hi, Steve. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, yes. yeah. uh, she's alive. A real champion. And she's uh, a champion. Oh, no, you are a champion. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we uh, we texted back and forth briefly, nothing overly involved, and uh, didn't want it to be, but she did not forget who I was. She still has me in her phone, and she is single. Yes. All right. Yeah, all right. Applause for that. Just wow, it up. I don't yeah. know how it's happened. How do they do it? <laughs> How is she still single? Well, and I told Steve, hey, we oh, don't know if question. she's been single this whole time. Uh, well, she told me. Yeah. She, she, told she may have a relationship, right? She said that she is, quote, still single. Still oh. single. Hmm. Okay. So I don't know how to interpret that. Does that mean the entire pandemic you've been single? Still single since last we met? Once again, <laughs> classic overthinker. You'll find out at some point in time here, uh, now that we've led up to Hey, I'd like to uh, get together and hang out with you sometime. That was one of your texts back to her, yes? Yeah, I wasn't trying to stretch this out or just out of the blue become pen pals again. Let's start texting back and forth. So after a couple of texts, I put it out there like, you know, do you want to get together and get a drink, you know, and talk about the last couple of years here? And and she said, you know, yeah, I'm still single. And yes, I'd, I'd like to get together and meet. So well, they, they're awesome. Now, I will yeah. say, we don't have anything on the calendar. I hope she's not blowing me off. But she told me, like, listen, I literally just got a puppy. I'm working at home for a few weeks to house train this dog. Like, let me get it house trained, and then I can, you know, go out and have an evening. 
Um, I feel like if she was blowing me off, why would she have even responded and, you know, had the back and forth? So I'm, I'm optimistic, but that's maybe you guys, are, maybe you guys need to go and take a hike with the puppy. Yeah. I, I wish you would have gotten a cat. God, you got a dog, but okay. That's fine. Like, dogs are have, awesome. No, I love dogs. I'm just saying like they're a commitment. The nice thing about yeah. a cat is you can go on an overnight trip and just give it food and you can leave for a day. You can't do that with a dog, but, but no, I love dogs. I hope she got a cool dog. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, well, so, um, I did make a, a big faux pas though, Brewski. You're going to have to tell me how bad this was or not. So as I mentioned, she was a devout football fan. She actually declared divorce when her husband wouldn't stop talking during the Super Bowl years ago. She was like enough already with you talking. I want She's a Steeler fan, right? Well, so that was the thing. I remembered that she was from uh, Phil, uh, uh, Pennsylvania. And so oh, I knew, I knew her, Eagles fan. I knew her allegiance was in Pennsylvania. And I distinctly, I thought I remembered her being a Steelers fan. Uh-oh. So the Steelers played last Sunday. Uh, the Browns, I think they played against. They did, yep. And so after the game, you know, this had been a few days. We had had the initial text and now several days have gone by. So I thought, let me be just a little, a little flirty, a little coy. So after the uh, the Steelers won, I texted her like, "Hey, your Steelers did a great job. Like, you know, it was a good game. You know, hope you have a hope." You <laughs> and a couple hours go by, and she replies, "Well, my Eagles did win. Oh, right. Yeah." And I was like, "Ah, fuh." Like, <laughs> and my response was something like, "Dang it! I knew it was somebody from Pennsylvania. Do I get credit for you know a partial answer?" How messed up is that, yeah. Bruski? Steelers versus the Eagles. Like, how how bad did I offend her? <laughs> no, it'd be it'd be a lot different if you had said something like um, the Giants. Like, if you had said, "Oh, I saw your Giants," because the Giants and the Eagles hate hate one another. Uh, Steelers, yeah. Steelers and Eagles. There's really no big rivalry okay. in, in okay. that sort of thing. So I think you're you're okay there. <laughs> <laughs> We're seriously having this conversation right now. Yes. If you're basing a relationship, uh, uh, you think that's going to make you fail in this have, relationship? Well, dude, everything is so tenuous right now. I, I've reappeared in this woman's life after two and a half years. I don't know what, what she's thinking. She's I will tell not you. going to say, "Oh, you didn't know my football team, douchebag." No, Nick, I don't... Nick, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah, you know, Nick, Nick, I. I refused to go on a date, a second date with the woman because of the way she held her fork when she cut her meat. Ouch. Well, and uh, well, you're tense or single, dude. I mean, <laughs> you've got to get over these little hangups, dude, if you really want somebody. Yeah. Do you know how many things you do that oh, somebody I know. could look at and say, oh, he did that, he did that? I'm full of them. I know that. Okay. But, but when you when you are holding your fork like this, <laughs> like a caveman or what? I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I expect I expect better of a woman. Oh but, my no, gosh! I do. I absolutely do. Well, you know, right. uh, I yes, standards. Lot, I appreciate dude. that. I just didn't want to commit some football faux pas, like college no, football. You, you know, University of Michigan versus Michigan State. Like they're oh, both yeah. in Michigan, but you don't oh, convolute no. those two. So I just want no, to make no, sure no. I didn't commit some no, holy atrocity. You're, you're, you're you're safe. You're okay, safe on good. that. Yeah. Hopefully she. Okay. Hopefully she thought it was sweet. I remembered anything you know pertinent to her life. But yeah, even though so. the steel the Steelers historically have been more successful than the Eagles. Yes, at committing rapes. Yeah, I hear you. So. <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm in I'm in Tahoe where Roethlisberger did his alleged defense. Did he get convicted? I remember if I have to no, say no. Whatever, but unfortunately no. not. That yeah. fat pervert. Convicted. Yeah. So, anyways. Nothing What'd like a good rape joke. A fat pervert? Is that what you called him? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's a fat pervert. <laughs> yeah. Take he that, Rothelisberger. Oh, my so God. So, anyways, yeah. 
So that's my update, guys. Um, she's on the hook. I don't know where it's nice. going. I'm not trying to have too many expectations. Nope. I just know that she's a uh, second date material, and that's hard to find. And I was smitten with her almost three years ago. So we'll see where it goes. I'm going to let it sit for now. I'll probably poke at her again at some point over the next week or two, just so she uh, knows I didn't, you know, die. Yeah, and just go into it, dude, with uh, reasonable expectations. As far as you are, you're getting yourself so hyped up for, will I do good? Will I do bad? If you're going to be a match, you're going to be a match. You know what I mean? I get, I get it. As I said on the last show, my dating philosophy is just, you got to just be yourself because yeah. anything else is just not going to work. But you do want to be the better version of yourself and you don't want to sure. say stupid things. And there is something to courtship where you're trying to put your, you know, your best foot forward. So a hundred percent, dude. But Absolutely. also just, I remember that. If you do make a faux pas, there's a lot that also gives you the opportunity to show uh, what kind of person you are, that you can admit your faux pas, how you, you know, bounce back from your faux pas. Like, that's not going to kill you. I get it. It's like I, I teach can't radio. wait for you to go out with her, dude. Uh, I think it'll answer a lot of your questions. Uh, did therapy think it was a good idea that you reached out to her? Yeah. So it was interesting. I was worried my shrink was going to tell me like, you're going too fast. Don't, you know, don't do any of this stuff yet. Cause she's kind of been telling me like, you're not quite ready to date. So slow down. So first of all, the fact that Sandy said like, I need several weeks, you know, before we can date, I was like, bonus, I need time too. So that's fine. Yeah. You know, I don't want to push this into next year, but you know, weeks or months, that's fine. Um, but she gave me an interesting answer. She told me that my shortcoming, and I've been aware of this for a long time, is that I'm not very good at internal validation. I put a lot of my self-worth based on what kind of father am I? What kind of husband or boyfriend am I? What kind of boss am I? What kind of employer am I? Like when I'm proud of my job and my kids and my partner, like I have a lot of self-worth. But then that creates a trap where if any of those things go away, then you have no self-worth left. So her point mm -hmm. was, those are external validations for you, your job, your, your partner, your kids. And those are good things. We all should have external validation and we should strive for that. We want to have people around us like us and all that. Um, so she said, you know, getting, talking to this, you know, woman last week and having that make you feel better. That's fine. That's a good thing. It's okay. You reached out to a human that wants to talk to you. That's, that's external validation and that's fine, but don't let it replace internal validation. And they don't have to be exclusive. Like, in other words, you don't have to wait six months to start dating until you internally validate yourself. You can go out and have a good job and have fun with your buddies on the show and date a nice woman. And that's all good. You just have to keep working on the internal stuff at the same what's time. What's the internal stuff, dude? Like, what's an example of internal validation? What do you mean? You know, she was trying to tell me, like, at the end of the day, you should feel good that you, uh, you know, you, you did all your duties for that day. You got the bills paid. You made dinner for the kids. You know, you had a... You know, the expression she tells me all the time is I am worthy regardless, regardless of whatever, regardless of your ex, regardless of your kids, because what if my kids come to me tomorrow and say, we hate you, dad, we're angry teenagers now. Does that mean you're worthless? No. Right. So you got to find ways to validate yourself. If I wrote a cool song on a guitar that day, you should tell yourself, nice job. If you went out and had a great dirt bike ride, and you didn't kill yourself, like kudos to you you should be giving yourself internal validation that you are worthy not based regardless. on other people exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. okay so, all right i think so, that's yeah. important short answer was godspeed go forth you know she's worried that if i'm 
you know, obsessing on her, or if now I'm, you know, on these dating apps 24 hours a day, or if I'm watching porn constantly, like if something is, it's the definition of addiction. If something in your life is in, uh, interfering with your ability to show up to work, to pay the bills, to make dinner for the kids, then those things are bad. It's too much. So she's keeping an eye on me. I'm not, uh, I'm not doing any of that with this topic, but yeah, I, yeah. It, for example, if I was dating, 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 if I was setting up 10 first dates right now and I just want to date, I want every day filled with dates. I want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's addiction. That's obsessing on something. That's not good. But to yeah. uh, reconnect with someone who you felt you had a connection with, yeah, she's telling me go forth. Yeah, I think so, it's good advice, dude. Go so you made progress, shall. dude. You've had a good week, right? You yeah. mark it off as a good week. Yeah, it has been a good week. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing all my self-care stuff. I'm doing my therapy and playing guitar and exercising. And, and yeah, having someone in your life that's maybe a little glimmer of optimism is, is perfectly fine. Good. So on well, we go. I'm here for it. Well, I, you know, this is the fun of this little program here. I mean, talk about documenting my life. Episode number one, I was still engaged. I announced at the end of episode one that our engagement was on hold because we were having a lot of problems. Talked yeah, about yeah. the breakup. You're going to watch me in the dating world. We've been talking to this dating coach. Like, you know, everything's going to be documented here. So can't we just time lapse this uh, time lapse this shit? <laughs> and right? end up already? I'm certainly curious to know. <laughs> yeah. Are we going to be playing this at some wedding in, you know, years down the road? Like, oh, remember when they first met? Yeah. And I don't just mean for right. Sandy. It could be for anyone, but I'm just saying yeah. we're documenting sure. all this stuff. So, yeah. I can't wait to see how the show ends. Yeah. <laughs> Neither can I, dude. Well, enjoy the journey. That is yeah, not what I they mean. say. Well, speaking of relationships and all that, we have had this dating expert on the show a couple of times, and we'll have her back before I have the first date here. And I've kind of put some of my other dating on hold at the moment. I'm uh, I'm talking to women on apps still, but I'm, uh, I don't know. Not actively. Hey, dude, has the, has the uh, updates you made on your app made you more appealing? Are you getting a lot of reach outs? Uh, it's funny. So the, the dating expert made some suggestions for my dating profile. And one of them was she wanted me to change my main picture to something where I was showing teeth, yeah. where yes. I was smiling with teeth, which yeah. I, I don't right. like smiling with teeth at all. Uh, but I found a picture and I'll tell you, <laughs> I've had several women now comment on that fucking picture of me smiling with my teeth. See, dude, yeah. so you can see the joy coming through. Yeah. So Julie Spira, she's not, she wasn't wrong, but she's women apparently do like deal. And I posted yeah. my, she wanted me having a picture with a guitar. So I took a picture of me playing guitar and I posted that. And I've had several comments on that now too. So, you know, there you go. The hey, expert yeah. Did yes. you do the uh, speed date thing? The, the event hasn't, hasn't happened yet. Oh, it's an, uh, it's in, a, it's in a couple of weeks, but I wasn't sure if we were going to speak with Julie again. That's why I was asking her about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I did, however, put myself back on Bumble. Oh, yeah, where, were you inspired a little bit by Steve? Or yeah, are you taking something the you tips? were ready for? I, I, was, I was on there before, and then I got off there, and I don't know. I mean, I've had a couple of women like my profile, yeah. but, but as you know, on Bumble, I can't send them a message until they initiate. They have to initiate the contact first. Yeah, Nick does so, not probably know that. But yeah, the way Bumble works is if you see someone, you can like them and they'll see that and they can say, I accept your like, but they have to initiate the conversation. Once they've accepted okay. it, you still don't get to contact them. The women are, control, are in control uh, on Bumble. I yeah. See. Okay. yeah. So now I'm, I'm just kind of in a kind of a holding pattern because neither one of them has reached back out to me. 
Uh, I did have a woman that I was talking to on uh, on Tinder, no less. Mm. And I said, and I just said, hey, uh, what, you know, you want to talk sometime? And, and then she said, well, I got, I got COVID and I'm really sick. And she's like, you know, uh, maybe once I'm done, you know, when I'm feeling better, I can I can talk then or I can yeah. text then. And right. I'm thinking, OK, you, you should send her some Alberta medicine or whatever that Trump stuff is. <laughs> no, but 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 my thing, my problem was, OK, if you're sick in bed with covid, you can text with me. Yeah. yeah. This just is so the you don't, time to so, text it. Right? Just don't just, just yeah. say you're not interested. So she's blowing what, you off. Is that what you're saying? She was. So I unmatched her. Yeah. Well, listen, dude, uh, oh. uh, the one thing I've learned is it definitely takes time on these apps. So let that yeah. hook sit in the water for a while. Yeah, uh, let's but- go back even further, Brewski. Oh, uh, uh, this is something I forgot about until just right now. What about uh, the girl you sent a note to in Reno or Vegas? Hmm. Remember the girl you sent a letter to that you, oh, you met yeah. up with? Any response? No response whatsoever. Oh, she should have had it by now. Yeah. Painful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I sent it beginning of september so she's well, just ignoring it that's fucked up she's not the right no, one for you brewski i mean it's <laughs> you know i i'm only i've done what i could she had i've given her every way she could possibly call me text me or look me up on social media yeah. and, and you know that's the other thing she could have looked me up on social media and saw them i'm a raising liberal and she's just like fuck that guy and she could have been that you know what i mean this Did you the, get the sense when you were talking to her that she was uh, conservative? No, not, the, the conversation didn't get that deep. I mean, we're, yeah. we're basically talking about, you know, the night that was going on, the band that was playing. They were playing Miss You by the Rolling Stones. And so I was talking with her about that. And yeah. Listen, dude, yeah. you got to take that letter, wrap it around a rock and throw it through a window, and then you'll know she got it. Okay? <laughs> She'll know right. you're serious. You don't know that you don't have confirmation it was delivered, dude. Yeah, but dude, this is part of the terribleness of this online dating stuff. You don't know why people reject you. Is it because... Yeah. Uh, because of your politics, is your, your height, your weight, your hair color. I have had women say, I love beards. I hate beards. I want people with kid, no kid. Like it is just you, well, rejection is running rampant and you never know why. Oh, and yeah. are you being rejected? I mean, there's a very good possibility you yeah. mailed this to a P.O. box. Did she I actually did. get it? Has she not got it yet? Is she busy? Is she on vacation? Who knows? Yeah. Rock mail. Rock mail. Come on. <laughs> you tried right, the well, rock mail dude and let us know how it works yeah yeah, yeah. i'll go i'll go to uh, her neighborhood and I'll, I'll throw it through her window yes <laughs> yeah that's my sound advice for everyone Good. all right so on this topic of relationships and all that i've been talking heavily about this gottman book the uh the seven principles for making marriage work it is apparently in the therapeutic world the number one uh, guidebook for helping couples nowadays. And, uh, I've read the whole thing. I actually think it's a good book. I think there's a lot going on there, but I brought up on the last show that the fact that Nick and I know each other so well, there are quizzes in here that try to gauge the strength of your relationship. And I told Nick, like, we should take one of these quizzes and I'd be willing to bet we <laughs> score very well, probably better than my ex and I did, and probably better than the average couple out there. But do, do you want to do this? Do you want to take one of the quizzes? Yeah. I yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, I, I don't know if we need to keep score per se. Maybe Brewski, uh, you know, keep some notes as we're going through this. But yeah, uh, take my glasses off so I can read. I know most people, it's the opposite. I see. What am I nearsighted? I can see near, but not far. Is that what that is? 
I don't know. You're far That's a good question. It's the, it's the opposite of whatever it is. I always get it wrong. Nearsighted means you can see near, but not far. And farsighted means you can see far, but not near. Isn't that right? Yeah, I think so. You're farsighted. I think it's something like you're that. You're nearsighted. Yeah. So I'm, no, I'm farsighted. I can see, no, no, no I'm nearsighted. You you're, see, right. Dude. you're right. <laughs> All right. So here's the part of the book. They're talking about something that he calls the love map. And the love what? The love map. Uh, okay. It's basically how well do you know your partner? Because if you have a deep knowledge of your partner, when you get into trouble and fights and crisis, that there's a foundation there to work from, you know, a lot right. about them. So you can appreciate some of the background, maybe to what's coming from. Sure. So this first chapter is trying to determine how strong your love map is. All right. Okay. All right. So these are uh, true or false questions. And uh, I guess I'll ask them of you, Nick, and then I'll, I'll, I'll answer them back for you as well. So, um, I can name my partner's best friends. Uh, yes. <laughs> well, yes, I can. This is somewhat of a trick question since you and I are <laughs> best friends, but, uh, you know, yeah, you, you know who my best friends are. Yes, I do. Most of the people on the show. And then, <laughs> you know, yeah, I've I mean, got a small uh, circle out that side. So, yeah. What yeah, how, we, how are we scoring this? Name those that are not present. Um, we gotta we we need to score how many trues and falses. Uh, okay. basically trues. How many true okay. answers are we getting here? So, okay, so uh, that's so, that market off as a true, dude. Yeah, so Nick's got that correct. You of course know that. I obviously know. You know, I mean, I you know, it's the three of us, and then um, yeah, I I understand your circle of friends and family <laughs> and all that stuff. So yeah, so I get a true for that. Yeah, that's correct. I know your best friends. Uh, next question. I can tell what stresses my partner is currently facing. Nick, do you feel you know what stresses I'm currently facing? Yes, I do. Yeah, probably better than most. Uh, just a reminder, like when I went through this crisis of a breakup a few months ago, Nick got on a freaking airplane and flew down here. So he's well aware of my stresses. Am I well aware of your stresses? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Me being one of your stresses. <laughs> 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 But yeah, professional stuff, political stuff, uh, relationship stuff, uh, stuff dealing with ailments you have. Like, I, I think I have a pretty good idea where your stresses are. I would say so. Yes. All right. So we're two for two, Brewski. We each two got for the two. Truths there. Uh, yep. I'm keeping score right on my, my notes there. All right. Uh, question number three. I know the names of some of the people who have been irritating my partner lately. Nick, oh. do you know the names? Oh. <laughs> been I do. Yeah. Yeah, very well. Um, do I know the names of people that have been irritating you? I mean, that's a good question. I know we've uh, talked about some political irritations you're having uh, with uh, family members, so I know that. Right. Um, I know you and I are always stressed out by the same coworker we have, so I know that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. yeah. And you know, uh, you know some of the frustrations, even like past frustrations I've had with, you know, yeah. my sister and some of her yeah. issues. You know, when I'm having frustrations with Dan, uh, my buddy Dan, you know, sometimes, you know. Yeah, yes. I would say that's true. Yeah, you get it. You and I are in real time in each other's lives. So uh, yeah. some of these answers have changed over the years. But yeah, I, I, I can name some people that are stressing you out. Yeah. All right. So true is for both of us, Bruski. Sure. Question number four. I can tell you some of my partner's life dreams. Can you tell me some of my life dreams, Nick? Yeah, definitely <laughs> I could. I think we're on it right now. That's certainly one yeah. of them. Yeah. Getting this and I know some of your global. more personal uh, life dreams of some things that you would like to have and do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I could do. 
I, I think I can answer the same for you. I mean, first of all, this talk show has been a dream of both of ours since we were in our early 20s. So that's definitely an easy one. Yeah. I know you'd like to give a gentle back massage to Dave Matthews. So I know that's definitely yeah, something I can name. Still, still going on. And so, by the yeah, way, think... are you trying to blur the editing of each of these shows? Are you going to wear a Dave Matthews shirt in every show? No one will ever be able to tell that you've changed. Because <laughs> each one you of our what? shows I... so far, you've worn a Dave Matthews t-shirt. As I've had one on every show? Yes. Wow. Oh, I, you know what? Uh, no, I did not. Because uh, I almost wore a t-shirt today that said more than a feeling, which I think I was wearing for our first podcast. Was you, it? I gotta Bruce, go back you made work. a comment on it. I know at least three out of five now you've had a Dave Matthews shirt. Probably on. true. I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of merch. <laughs> He's got seven versions of each shirt though. So they're clean yeah. people. All right. Truths for both of us, Ruski. Question number five. I am very familiar with my partner's religious beliefs and ideas. Hmm. Do you feel you're familiar with my religious beliefs, Nick? I do. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and what are those? Uh, well, you don't subscribe to a, a, a religion per se. Uh, you do feel like there's something greater out in the world and a energy of this world, but yeah, you don't subscribe to a religion. That is true. And I'm glad you know all that. Uh, Nick, I know you're Catholic, but you're not like super Catholic. I don't think you're going to church every Sunday. I think you right. go for like, you know, Christmas or maybe Easter or something. And, uh, and you've expressed some mixed opinions on uh, organized religion and Catholicism. <laughs> Sure. I pointed out to you once that Catholicism reminded me of a cult. The one time I went to like church with a friend because everyone knows when to sit and stand and the chants and the hummings and things like and this uh, putting you... stuff in my mouth like the body of Christ. <laughs> or like this is freaking weird, man. Let me tell you something, dude. Being raised as a cradle Catholic, uh, which you know obviously just means that I've been uh, in a Catholic church since I was a baby. Yeah. So some of these, we I I never looked at it as weird at all until uh, we went to a mutual friend's mother had passed away, and we went to her funeral in a Catholic church. Yeah. It made Steve uncomfortable just, you know, well, for many reasons, the funeral, A, and then to be in a church. Yep. And then, I mean, he, he, you didn't know the guy's mom. We were just there more supporting him. So, I mean, it was uncomfortable on all of those levels alone. But I felt right at home because it was in a Catholic church and the ceremony of a mass is yeah, something that brings... I get, I don't know. Maybe I just feel it's, it's weird. I, I find a little comfort in it, dude. I find I, because I've, you know, always yeah. went there with my family and people I care about. Yeah. So I find some comfort in that, but it was the first time anyone had ever brought up, like, it's kind of cultish. Like you sit down, you stand up, everyone knows when to do it. Everyone knows what to say when, and I did leave that being like, I could totally understand why he feels that way. I mean, if I was looking at it from the outside, having never been there. So, yeah, no, I can understand that for sure. Yeah. Remember, the only difference between a cult and a religion is the number of subscribers. Is that the truth? I mean, it really is, because every religion started off as a cult. And then when you get a certain number of members, sure. it's like being Twitter verified or whatever. Now you've got, if you have 100 people following you, well, that's a creepy cult. But if a million people follow you, now you're a religion. So. yes okay all right so we both get points for that wouldn't you say we know what yes. where we stand religiously yes very detailed and by okay. the way i think i got like abused in a church in a past life and i don't necessarily mean the the altar boy thing like i think i got tied up and tortured and cut in pieces because 
whenever I see religious architecture or like stained glass windows and stuff in churches, it creeps me out to my core. There's something about religious architecture and artwork that just doesn't sit right with me. Just makes you feel uncomfortable. It brings some primal sort of uncomfortableness out of me. Like something bad must have happened to me at some point in my cosmic history. Because yeah, (laughs) that's not to mention I also don't believe in you know fairy tales. So moving on down the list. It's great that we can both have a respect for how each other feels, right? (laughs) The Bible is a book of fairy tales. It's all good. There's some fun stories in there, though. So it's good. All right, next question. And we're still batting a, a thousand here, by the way. All right, question number six. Um, I can tell you about my partner's basic philosophy on life. Your basic philosophy on life. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I can do it. Yeah. Don't be a dick. <laughs> you know, like, let's just be nice to each other. Don't be a dick. Try and do good things for people. Yep. Try and to I enjoy would, your I, life. I would say the same thing. You know, Nick is a, uh, you know, do right by others, take care of those around you and uh, appreciate life because it's a fleeting thing. You never quite know where it's going or when it's ending. So, yeah, right. I would agree. All right. Uh, number seven, I can list the relatives my partner likes the least. Uh, this is getting a little tricky right now, but the I don't know. What do you think about that? You think you'd answer that for me? Uh, it's a tricky one. Yeah. I mean, I think I could, I think I could, I don't know if I'd be right, but I think I could based off just like how much you talk about certain people and how much you don't talk about certain people. And well, and you're like, like a well aware, the big blowout I had with my, uh, one of my siblings years ago. I mean, yeah, you know, that right. stuff and, yeah, I say it's a tricky topic because I don't have a lot of relatives that I despise that I would talk about my crazy uncle Bart or whatever. Like, so it's a little tricky, but Nick's been well aware of my family drama over the years. Same I'm, for uh, me. I mean, I don't have any relatives that I hate, you yeah. know? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I love everyone that's in my family. So yeah. Well, and that's but you also, know who I've had drama with. Yeah. I was gonna say, and that's also a way to answer the question. Like knowing that you actually don't have a relative that you hate is kind of answering the question too. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. All right. Still batting a thousand there, Bruski. Uh, well, we we're already... making out soon. Don't you think? Oh yeah. Candles will be lit soon. Um, we, we just kind of actually answered this one. I know my partner's favorite music. Yes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. come on now. Yeah. Uh, Pearl uh, Jam, we... Dave Matthews band. Right. There you go. Nick and I are heavily involved in uh, each other's musical lives and knowing uh, what concerts we want and everything else. So, yeah, Dave Matthews, uh, obviously your big one. Uh, Steely Dan, I would say that's a big one up there for you, right? Yeah. Both big Beatles fans, which yeah. is weird because Brewski hates the Beatles, which I, I don't know. I don't I don't I don't hate the Beatles. Oh, you he used just to think they're as Come great on. as people think. Give them credit. I'm more of a Stones guy, but I will say that when McCartney came to Seattle when I was living there, it was one of the I bought tickets right away because mm. I can recognize that this is I, somebody that. I, Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just, I recall an old vocal minority in Seattle where you were railing on the Beatles and Nick and I were just offended. Like it's one thing to not like them, but to say you hated them. I'm pretty sure you said you hated them back then. Maybe you've grown over the years. I don't know. He also finds himself in these situations where he has to be very passionate about things uh, where I there's see. no shades of gray in it. Either the fucking hates it or a little fucking loves it. Ah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like uh, perhaps, you know what? Cheetos is a great, uh, a great example of that. Someone get me some 
Cheetos. Like we get it, dude. You <laughs> love fucking Cheetos, all right? <laughs> we get it. <laughs> I've seen a meme going around like what are the top 10 greatest bands of all time and it just lists 10 you can't rank them this way nine it's a debate and when you get to number one the thing is just the Beatles the Beatles yeah yes. so all right <laughs> it is the correct answer all right uh where are we at number nine I think uh I can list my partner's three favorite movies hmm what do you think uh oh. That would be that would be tough for me. I think you listen. I don't know if I have a specific three, but I bet if you name a few, they're going to be in, certainly in my top ten. What do you, yeah. give me? Give me a couple. What do you think? I mean, uh, definitely uh, something out of the Spider-Man series will be in there. Beaches. Uh, Beaches, yeah. yeah. Only when uh, I'm menstruating, though. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would say that Die Hard is in there. Yeah, sure. Uh, I would say that. Uh, hmm, uh, yeah, I would say that uh, you're a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So those would be the three that I'd probably mention right off the top. I know that there's a lot of Marvel movies in there. Yes. And I don't even know which specifically to name, but you, you, you got the right genres and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. You're, you're good there. Uh, we talked about this last week. It's what brought this up. The fact that I know your all-time favorite movie is High Fidelity, of course. Right. Um, beyond, you know, obviously Die Hard. I mean, we're both good blue-blooded Americans, so that's an easy one. <laughs> yes. uh, singles, I, I, I think we both agree, is one of our, yeah. you know, favorites. Um, so, yeah. Say I, Anything I, is one of my other favorite movies. Yes. You know? Yeah. Pump up so. the volume. Yep. I'm aware of all these. Bruski. All right. Keep scoring is good here. You got it. Yep. All right. Uh, do, do, do favorite movies. My spouse is familiar with my current stresses. Didn't we already ask this one? Yeah. Maybe that was just life. Where, where was that one? I can tell you. Uh, same answer. Yeah. Oh, I can tell you stresses my partner is currently facing. That seems to be the exact same question. Yeah. Right, so we're good there. Uh, I know. Um, I know the three most special times in my partner's life. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's interesting. What would you say are my most special times? Uh, the birth of your children, uh, I would say, uh, probably, uh, I would say your, I would say your, your marriage and your children. Yeah. That was right there. Um, and I would probably say like, uh, getting this show originally put together yep. is, would be one of those moments. So yeah. there's yep. three. I concur. I would say that, yeah, the original iteration of the show was one, probably even bringing it back for both of us is one. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you getting married. Uh, I know, I don't know if special is the right, but I know the passing of your dad was a really significant, you know, event in your life that, um, yeah, that's still resonating in good ways and, you know, maybe not always, but, um, yeah. Um, getting to meet Bill Cosby and getting the back rub from him. I know that was a special time in your life. I can't believe you didn't mention that one first, but right? yeah. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think getting your autograph picture from Tony Danza from Brewski for a birthday present. That was yes. Yeah. You gotta love that. Dude. I don't know if everyone can see that. 
this is a uh, oh you have it there in the special, studio yeah special moment in my life a little glare on there but nick wow. keep punching your pal tony Day. <laughs> that is awesome original tony i loved i didn't even notice that it was framed hanging on the wall behind you so yeah. yeah all right so clearly i got that correct all right moving on down the line i can tell you the most stressful thing that has happened to my partner as a child hmm that's interesting uh yeah i mean what's a child how old are we saying as a child up until last week there's probably a lot of truth to that yeah Uh, my diaper daddy uh yeah i mean i can come up with a couple of them and i don't know uh yeah i I don't know if you need specific examples but yeah um, yeah Yeah. i mean you you know about divorce stuff and uh, yeah yeah I guess I would say the similar thing for you. Like, uh, I don't know that we've talked extensively about our childhood, but, um, yeah, I mean, I know some of the family struggles back in the day and, uh, yeah. I know we both had struggles, you know, growing up peer pressures and things like that. So, uh, yeah, beyond that, neither of us was like kidnapped or anything significantly major, but yeah. no, you mentioned the one that I would probably talk about. And then, uh, there was a passing of somebody that I would talk about that yeah, was yeah. probably, you know, life-changing for you. So, yeah. No, I think that that's, I think we don't. All right. A couple more questions here. We're still batting a thousand. Uh, I can list my partner's major aspirations and hope in life. This is sort of a rehashing of the other one though, right? Yeah. I I think they're trying to catch you to see if you're going to answer the same question in the same way. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, yeah, so we've covered that. Uh, I know my partner's current major worries. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I know you know my current major worries. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, we're both stressing about money. We're both stressing about. Uh, well, I don't know if stressing about this talk show is the right word, but uh, um, it's certainly something top of our mind and sure. something we're focused on and concerned about. Yeah, uh, the state of the world. I know we both have a lot of concerns about that. Politics, uh, you know. So yeah, our mothers. Yeah, yeah, family issues. Aging mothers. Sure. Yeah. Um, Again, this is the same question earlier. My, do I know who my spouse's friends are? So let's skip that. I know what my partner would want to do if he or she suddenly won the lottery. Mm, that's actually a profound question. Because my there's answer, only, my there's answer only is, one answer though. Is it? What? Why? What? What would it be? Two chicks at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> what is that what? from? What? What? what where, that's a movie, right? Office Space. Office Space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's only one answer. Nick, that you, would not do, be my answer if you're listening, honey. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think you know what I would do? Because somebody asked me this question recently. I don't know if I shared with you what the answer would be. I think I did, though. Uh, if you did, I'm not recalling. So, um, I mean, I think, think I know think I what do? you would want to do. Huh? Tell, what do you think? Tell me. Uh, I think you would want to continue to do this radio show. Uh, but I think that you would want a big piece of property where you can just go uh, ride your dirt bike around and not have to worry about money. Yeah, that's fair. Not totally accurate, but fair. Okay. Listen, somebody asked me recently, like what would happen? Like, let's say the, uh, the vocal minority signed some major deal and you're making seven figures. Like, what would you do with that money? My answer was, you know, take care of everyone named harness is my first answer. Yeah. 
pay for my kid's college, help my mom who's in retirement and is not saved very well. Make I a would... note, Brisky, that we got to get our last names changed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, well, I'm writing it right now. <laughs> you know, family, uh, I would include friends in that. And uh, yeah, you know, I would, I would put money into expanding things like, you know, this talk show and yeah, I would like a nice house on some property. So you're, you're definitely not wrong about that, but yeah, I don't know if I hit it big, my, my first thing would be kind of trying to stabilize life for all of us. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think for you, it'd probably be pretty similar. You, you'd probably put most of your efforts into, you know, helping out your, your, your family, your mom, and to probably yeah. improving your house. You guys have a great house that you, you, know, you own there and, you know, traveling more, I think it'd probably be something you do, but I don't think you just go buy a yacht. I just don't think that's no. the kind of guy you are. So no, I would, uh, yeah. Short answer is yeah, you hit it on the head. I mean, those are all the major things that I would want to do and then uh i think probably uh rachel and i've had this dream that we uh airbnb our house for a while and just load up an rv and yeah. explore this great country and yeah. be able to work from wherever we are at the moment have no plans of where to go and where to stop just maybe stay somewhere for a few six months maybe stay somewhere for a couple of nights yeah so here's the deal. We got one question left because there's two or three here that are kind of, again, rehashing some of the Redundant. others. Okay. Um, so I'm going to say that as of right now, we're, we, we've still scored perfectly. Yes. Yeah. Judge agreed. Okay, good. So here's the last question. And this one in the book, they talk more about it because this is actually kind of a significant thing that apparently, I don't know, I guess a lot of people in their relationships don't know the right answer to this. But the question is, I can tell you in detail my first impressions of my partner when I met them. So can I tell you, Nick, my, do I remember when we met and what my first impressions of you were? hundred percent, hundred percent for me too. This is yeah. something that has stuck out in my brain the night we met and ever since, because it was so vivid. And I think I, I've told the story before, like when I met Nick, I knew we would either be the best of friends or the worst of enemies because we were so similar Yeah, that it right. had to go one way or the other. Yeah. And I remember, I remember going is. home that night uh or that morning yeah and overnight. thinking to myself uh uh pretty much the same thing either i just found somebody that i loved or that guy's an asshole and i hadn't decided yet i hadn't decided yet right, but right. i soon decided you know obviously yeah but i yeah I, that sticks out in my mind too of our first meeting and yeah you know i was the i was the youngest guy working at that radio station and, you know, here comes Steve. That's just like, you know, a couple of weeks older than me. So, I mean, we were so just in the same, we were into all the same kind of shit. And uh, yeah, I remember that very well. So I, we just aced the Gottman test, dude. That's yes, what it goes back go. to my point that, you know, this world <laughs> may be a lot easier if we were just gay, dude. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Congratulations. That's right. Well, Nick, I suppose the right answer is uh, A, being gay is not a choice, and we've proven that. But uh, B, there's different types of partners, and uh, you and I are a match made in radio heaven or hell or whatever it is. So Yeah, yeah, I think so, too. So there you uh, go. And can you, do you remember your first impressions of Rachel? Because I remember my first impressions of Jamie and of Hillary. Like, it seems odd to me that you wouldn't remember that. But apparently a lot of people don't. 
I think if you care about somebody, you obviously will remember. I remember my first impressions of Brewski. Uh, and yeah, I think anyone you care about, I would hope that you would remember your first meeting and your first impressions of getting to know them and everything else. Yeah. I was, I was awestruck by Brewski when I first met him. I thought here is a guy that I want to know, dude. I knew right away that I wanted to know you. I mean, the character side of Brewski's personality was something I was infatuated with right away. And then you get to know him and you, you know, soon realize that he's got uh, a heart the size of China. So, <laughs> yes, he is a champion. Yes, please. A real champion. Yes, oh, yeah. so, yes you are. So, all right. do you remember the first time you met Harness? Uh, me? Um, yeah. I, I do. But the first time I met Steve, because I saw you more often than I saw Steve. Mm-hmm. So the first time I know I Nick met... introduced us, I know that's how it all came apart. Or yeah, came because I, I used to run the board before you guys would go on the air. Yes, yeah. and um, so we, Steve and I, only had limited conversation, and it was you guys also kind of running around getting everything set up. Yeah, so there, there wasn't a whole lot of interaction or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. On we go. I have one yeah. last dating thing to uh, to debate real quick, and then I, uh, we can move on. And we got to, we're about two and a half hours into this, so we got to wrap this yeah. up for three hours. On the uh, show last week, I was talking about the fact that I know this couple around here, where the guy is fifty and the woman is thirty. They have a yeah. twenty years age gap, and you know the dude's a you know he's a good looking older dude. The woman is smoking hot, might even be the hottest woman in this town. And I just thought, like, is that terrible? Can I be the almost 50-year-old guy who's got the younger, hotter woman now? And Nick, you actually said something to me that I, I don't I don't you rarely say to me. You said that I that it was offensive to say that I might want to date a younger woman. Uh no, uh, well, well, let me be clear. I wasn't saying it's offensive to me that I was <laughs> saying that w- w- women of a certain vintage. I will say this is uh Rachel and I have been married for a while now. I see that men and women um, age differently in their minds, for sure. And society looks at men and women as they age in a different way. And I know it can be a harder thing for women to go through as they're aging. So I think it can be offensive to a woman, your own age, for you to be with a woman that's say 30 years old, which woman in, in my life that's my age, am I worried about offending my ex, my wife, my ex-wife or my ex-girlfriend or who, who, whose opinion am I getting offended? Uh, well, maybe your daughters. I don't know. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. There's. <laughs> I mean, maybe your sons. I, I don't know. Here, here's All I'm saying is that yeah. it is that it, it, there is a chance that when you go, well, it's a reason it's somewhat, in the past, especially a taboo thing for an older man to be with such a younger woman. It either means most of the time that you got money and that that relationship is not real solid. These are the things that Mm. people automatically assume. Yeah. Uh, There's a reason for that. I'm not saying that it could never work. I'm just saying like, here's some things you should think about. Maybe it would be offensive to certain people I was, and I was more saying it for that dating expert that was on here of like a, it's a great example a woman her age 
who is out in the dating field that she may find that offensive for a guy to be going for a much younger woman. Like what's wrong with me? What don't I have? Love is ageless, Nick. Love is ageless. I was watching a stand-up <laughs> special the other day, and the comedian called out a couple in the front row, and he was like, to this younger woman, he's like, it's nice of you to bring your grandpa to the comedy show. And they were like, we're on a date. And he was like, hold on. Like, how old's the woman? She was like 28, and the guy was 49. And the comedian got off the stage and like high-fived the guy. He was like, dude, look at this young piece of ass you got here. Like, I five, like, you're awesome, man. So I'm just wondering what the correct age limit is. We're not hypocrites, right, Nick? Are we hypocrites? No, I, I don't think so. No. All right. Yeah. So when I was 19, I was dating a 35 year old woman, 16 years older than me. And that relationship yes. went on for like two years. And every guy, my hand was sore from being high five repeatedly because she was hot and she was right. this older musician woman in our town. And I was playing in a band and every musician in Ann Arbor just drooled over this woman and little 19 year old, 20 year old me was, you know, was getting her. So that was a 15 year age gap. If we round down. So should that not be my perimeter? Should I not be dating anyone from age 30 to 60, basically, since I'm in my mid forties. Depends what you want, dude. Uh, we'll talk about that relationship right there. All that was was sex. I mean, it wasn't yeah. ever going to be a long-lasting, meaningful relationship. Is that what you're looking for? That's a great question. No, I think I'm looking for a long-lasting, meaningful relationship. But if I can't find that right now, hmm, I don't know. Yeah. Somebody no. younger and hotter. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'm, I'm not looking down not the on worst you way to all, kill dude. And I'm not even saying that if I were in your situation <laughs> that I wouldn't do it myself. I'm just saying it's something to think about, you know? Yeah. Well, I've there, cut my dating filters off now with 30. Like you can't start with the number two. That seems too young, but yeah. Who are we to judge the maturity of a 31 year old woman? Nick, shouldn't we be open-minded? That's not 17. 31 you is, you know, you're into life. Listen, I will say this, that when I was 30, I thought I knew life. And now that I'm 46, I laugh at my 30 year old self. Yeah. There's something that comes with life experience that you're not going to get. And that a person just at 30, while they may be mature, they don't have the life experience, you know, mm -hmm. so you're just going to have to account for that, dude. If it's important to you, great. If it's not great, I don't judge. Okay. Well, you know, uh, the, the great Kip Winger once said, Daddy says she's too young, but she's old enough for me. Right. There are so many rock <laughs> yeah, songs yeah. that reference 17 year olds that just haven't aged very well. I'm pretty oh, sure yeah. Winger is one of them. The Beatles, we were talking yeah. about them. Well, you know, well, I, she I, was I just 17, if you know what I mean. Rick James. <laughs> Rick James has a, a song called 17. Yeah, exactly. She was only 17. Yeah. But she was sexy. Straight wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's so many oldies old. songs that go back even below 17 that is like, you know, an oldies so artist. Songs that you oh, can listen to. Jerry I've Lee Lewis dating his, what, 13 year old cousin or something? Yes. That's breaking every sort of rule. Family, yeah. 13. <laughs> well, now, Nick, we know that this, this particular artist actually made a move on someone that uh, you used to work with and I used to work with Mr. Conway Twitty. Who did Who did we used to work with? Robin. Oh, really? Wait, yeah, you're saying Conway oh, Twitty her. hit on Robin? When she was 15 years old, she oh. was at a Conway Twitty show with her parents. And I think it was right. like in Spokane and Conway Twitty, they were backstage and Conway Twitty was, was, putting the moves on her and he actually has a song called you've never been this far before and uh -huh. when you listen to that song i mean 
it's just like he's basically giving so you a play by a play by play of him basically defiling this this underage woman. Wow. It happened that there See, were this so is not many what I'm talking about. songs, dude. And this is where you're heading, Steve. No, <laughs> yeah. no. That's what I'm saying. It's a little insulting to say somebody who's 30 would be anywhere near somebody who's 16 or 17 or something. Of yeah. course, it's a joke. I do wonder, though, uh, as you date, uh, this is something that obviously I, I wouldn't have to worry about. Do you think about what your daughter will think of just your dating who I know she'll uh, obviously care who you're dating once she's introduced to them. But when you're going to date a woman, do you think about that? Like, uh, what would my daughter think of this? Yeah. Listen, I intentions are everything. Like, where's this relationship going? So if I'm meeting someone serious who I think it's going someplace serious, um, a, I've got a rule, like it's gotta be at least three months together before I'm going to introduce you to one of my kids or both of them. Yeah. Um, so I would have a much better sense of that. If I started dating some hot 30 year old and it was just for fun, then it's never going to go down that road. So they're never going to be introduced to my kids. So Fair it's never going to be a factor. Um, so yeah, but that's really not what I'm looking for as we've been discussing thoroughly on the show, but you know, if, if, if I don't find valid second date material where I think something might be going somewhere, then I don't know. Could be worse. You know what's so funny to me? When I was 19, banging a 35-year-old, 35 seemed so old to me. Oh, yeah. And now we're talking about a woman in her early 30s. And like, that's like, she's young. Like, now that's so young. Cradle robber or something. Like, perspective is everything in life. Yeah, it sure is. We've definitely hit a mark in our lives where things are reversed. Yes, they are. So, uh, Hey, dude, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about and just kind of get your opinion on, uh, have you seen this uh, whole story that has come out with uh, Martha's Vineyard? With the uh, immigrants being shipped there? Yeah. Yeah. uh, So the gist of the story is, who's the guy in Texas? uh, Greg Abbott. Well, DeSantis in Florida is the one who just shipped him to Martha's Vineyard. Well, I think. and I'll tell you what, right, Greg, Greg Ab- Abbott got him all wrangled up in Texas yeah. and sent him down to Florida. Okay. And well, then go ahead, Brewski. I was going to say, Greg Abbott will not stand for any illegal immigration. Right. Yeah. So, uh, wow, that just blew right by you guys, didn't it? He won't stay. Oh, because he's in a wheelchair. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Uh, Brewski. Such a low blow. Oh, Such a low man. blow. I have to admonish you for that. <laughs> I just tweet to know I'm sorry. It's all right. Everyone makes a bad joke every once in a while. Another fine moment brought to you by the vocal minority. Let's keep things rolling. Oh, oh sorry. wait. Sorry. I did. That was a wheelchair joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> keep rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> So anyways, so yes. anyway, yeah. So uh, all these immigrants were told that they were going to have food and shelter and great things for their family. going to Disneyland, <laughs> you know, basically have this great life and everything else. So they got on this bus and then they were dropped off at Martha's Vineyard, which is such a I mean, that's human trafficking, right? I mean, yes. at its finest, right? Yes, it is literally. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then they get there and, you know, the point was to say like, uh, these democratic cities, they do not want a bunch of immigrants just, you know, dropped off on their front lawn. 
Well, it backfired on them because the community at large got together and started setting up shelters for these people. And kids from the schools were coming and uh, acting as translators. And they're trying to take care of these people, which I think is, you know, not only the right thing to do, but I think it's uh, an awesome thing to just show you how this naturally backfired on you. Yeah. But I don't understand why this isn't a bigger story than it is. Well, there's some lawsuits going on for yes. basically tricking these people into kidnapping them and you yes. know, moving them around like human trafficking and all that. And it's certainly they're getting a lot of heat for the blatant political stunt of using human beings as some sort of prop. And, you know, but at the end of the day, my whole thing is if you don't want to deal with immigrants, maybe don't be the governor of a border state, you fucking asshole. Like you, this is an issue you have to deal with. It'd be like if a state had nuclear waste and their answer was, I'm just going to ship it to Texas. Fuck them. Like you've got a problem in your state. No one's denying that, but you have to deal with it in, in an actual way that uh, is legal and moral and addresses the fact that, yeah, if you're in a border state, you may have a bigger immigration problem than they do in Kansas. And shipping yes. human beings around the country is, as a political stunt is obviously just fucking evil. Sick and twisted, dude. Well, I mean, and, they, and it just goes to show you once again that for some, somehow that you think because these folks aren't legal, that they're less than, that they're not human, and, the, and that you can play with them like this is just what I find so sick about this new conservative party of America first. Like we're all people, dude. And you're acting like these people don't have souls because they're illegal. I just hope, uh, uh, Beto O'Rourke can do some great things down in Texas, dude. Yeah. Texas is definitely purple nowadays. And I'd love to see it tip the scale all, all the way to the blue side. And, but, uh, yeah. Do you know- do you know what? Do you know what? Something that that goes underreported about that whole story. What is? Do you do you know what political party my governor here in Massachusetts happens to be in? I'm assuming no. the blue side. Yeah. No, he's a Republican. Oh, really? oh, okay. Yeah, his name is his name is Charlie Baker, and he's actually he acts and he's a he's a Northeast Republican, which is much different. Reasonable from, Republican. Yes, exactly. I mean, he has seven. He has a seventy-four percent. Um, approval rate here in the state of Massachusetts. That's right. And, and he's and the thing about it is, is that he was not a never Trumper, but he was never uh, he never supported Donald Trump, and he and he's seen by most of the the national GOP as someone that isn't like them. But at the same time, if more of them were like him, they might actually win an election because they would get some conservative Democrats to actually vote from. I mean, right. that's how he, that's how he won up here in the first place. It's a good point. Cause if some of these governors, uh, Abbott or DeSantis, if they actually came up with a real way to solve immigration issues or what to do with immigrants, like they might actually get some, you know, centrist or lefties to vote for them. Cause they're just, they're actually solving a problem and not just playing political props out of it. Right. And yeah. by the way, we saw this with, you know, with Ukrainian refugees and all sorts of like, there are, Lots of yeah. liberal states that have actually stepped up and said, "That's fine. Send them here. We'll 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 take them with open arms." Right, right. There's just this yeah. assumption that we're going to all reject them and push back on them like conservatives do, and then they're a little surprised to see, like, no, Seattle said, "Yeah, send us a bunch of people from the Ukraine or Iran or whatever. We'll take them. It's fine." Right. That was well, a that- big backfire for him. I mean, that was incredibly stupid and inhumane to say the least. Well, he thought he thought he was going to <laughs> drop all these uh, folks 
onto now the thing about Martha's Vineyard is that it is a very affluent island. Sure. Um, and I, I mean, the, the whole idea was for to them to drop all these people on all these rich people, and these rich people were going right. to freak out and say, "We don't want them here." And right, like you said, Nick, that's not what happened. No, yeah, not what happened at all. He did. Uh, he invited them just into on the... a roll. What? Texas. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, have you seen the? Uh, have you I seen wish... the whole uh, Ted Cruz uh, video that's been circulating with him talking about how uh, we got this? uh this new infrastructure deal passed for this uh, yeah. highway in yes. texas that he didn't is, vote on like it's yeah. just so fucking embarrassing like i don't know how you could do that and but at the same time conservatives just don't seem to care about no. facts at exactly. all nick exactly. keep, keep in mind nick this is the guy who completely pushed out when trump called his wife ugly right right yeah, he, yeah. He, you know, he and accused his dad of killing Kennedy. By the way, exactly, and and he, and then he goes and he completely just completely becomes Trump's cockholster. You know, yes, yeah. completely. Yeah. yeah, it's insane. It's insane. I don't know where we where we sit. I'm glad I'm not in Texas. They talk about you know so many people are moving to Texas right now out of Hollywood, out of Los Angeles. That they've yeah. had a lot of transplants as of late. I wonder how long that'll last for when you see what you're actually in for these are the types well, of shenanigans that's what Nick, we're doing do, here in california we're spreading across the nation we're taking over your little red states well right. but do you know where they're all moving to though where montana and texas no 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 in texas they're moving to austin oh yeah they're, yeah. they're moving to the, to the bluest city in the entire in the entire state of texas yeah. so it's yeah. not like they're moving into like alice texas and new Braunfels. you know these really like uh, rural areas. They're moving yeah. into Austin. They're moving right. into where, where all the Democrats are. Yeah. Even right. even Joe Rogan lives in Ethan Austin, for yeah. God's sakes. He's every so sick of liberals, but he lives to Austin. Austin. Yeah. Yeah. Now, every time I hear about a state like Texas saying they want to secede from the rest of the country, I would say, go ahead. Go for it. Yeah. And then we're going to invade you and take you right back because we have tanks and an army and you're going to have your, uh, you know, your assault weapons or whatever. But go ahead and leave. And then uh, we'll just take you back. Well, no, we'll, we'll, just, we'll, we'll take the military we'll the out of there, and then the cartels will go over and take over Texas. Yeah, exactly. yeah. We'll See how you lose like it, it as own. a whole. I don't think Buford and his AR-15 are going to be able to hold off the the cartels. You know, that's yeah. the funny thing about the Second Amendment debate. I need to keep my guns for preventing tyranny. Like your okay. AR-15 is going to take down a tank. I mean, come on. Yeah, and and the most highly trained, best equipped army in the entire world. Right, of course. We have police, <laughs> we have army, they have helicopters and tanks, and you know. But yeah, you got your six shooter, so good luck with that. Oh yeah, there you go, there, Gomer. All right, gentlemen. Um, what do you want to do? We can do like one more news story, or we can wrap this thing up. Where where, where are we at? Give us uno mas. All right, should we? Let's let's end with a little bizarreness. Should we do that? Yes. Well, does Brewski have anything? He hasn't got anything off his chest today. Do you have anything at all, Brewski? I just have one to... thing that sure. I don't want. I don't want to to bring the show down with. Oh, great! But, um, <laughs> okay. uh, today would have been my dad's seventy second birthday. Uh, Cadillac Cadillac Jack would have been seventy two today. Uh, well, that's cool, and we though. we we lost him two years ago on October thirtieth. Yeah. So. Um, I just wanted to to wish my dad a happy birthday. You guys better love my dad. 
he's 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 been the guy I'm, i have a big personality i'm nothing compared to what my dad was so no. yeah it's it's been fun throughout our friendship for you to be able to share all of your family with us dude but yeah uh cadillac jack seemed like he had a uh, big personality and your sister makes a lot of posts on Facebook, dude. So I get to see a lot of memories pop up of Cadillac Jack. And yeah, well, a happy heavenly uh, birthday to Cadillac 72 today, my friend. Thank absolutely you, guys. I appreciate you. it. No, yeah. absolutely champion. I'm glad you can uh, be able to do that shout out worldwide for Cadillac Jack. So there you go. <laughs> yes. What would All he right. have? What would he have wanted to do today? Uh, favorite meal? Uh, favorite Either steak. Steak or ribs. That's what we would have been gutting tonight. Steak or ribs with steak fries. And Cadillac liked to dance a little bit too. Get his groove on. Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. he absolutely did. Yeah, he did. Well, thanks for sharing it with us, Bruce. Well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. No, absolutely. All right. uh... And now it's bizarreness with harness. Bizarreness with harness. Steve Harness. It's. I love that. I just love you guys can't get through this open without laughing. That's funny. <laughs> That's my oldie Steve Harness jingle right but there. I, I love those jingles, though. I can never, I, I, I can never. Classic. And from any station, I love them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're fantastic. Have you ever seen them recorded? They're even funnier. I put, I put that on my dating profile. I've got my own jingle singing my name, ladies. <laughs> I bet you don't have that, do you? All right, gentlemen, we got time for one story. You give me the yes. topic. Either nose biting or STDs. What do you want to hear about? Nose biting? Nose biting. Nose biting. Nose biting for me, too. That's the way I would have gone. All right. And these uh, these are articles are ever diligent producer Brewski has sent over to me this week. So I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. We'll save STDs for another show. Um, but yeah. All right. Nose biting. Uh, Beyond Meat executive Doug Ramsey accused of biting a man's nose in a road rage attack outside wow. of a college football game. An executive of a vegan food products company. Let's just start right there. The guy's a <laughs> vegan and he just tried to bite somebody's nose off. I think that's a meat product. Yeah. Maybe he's trying to abstain from cannibalism and that's <laughs> why he started this vegan company this is what happens when you don't get in a protein your body starts to crave meat from anywhere <laughs> so, so an executive of a vegan food products company has been charged with felony battery after making a terroristic threat after a fight outside of a football game in which he is accused of biting a man's nose beyond Oof. meat chief operations officer doug ramsey beyond meat so funny to me, uh, has been accused of a road rage attack outside Saturday's game between the Razorbacks and the uh, uh, Missouri State Bears, according to the police report. Police report says the 53-year-old uh, Fayetteville man attacked another man who tried to inch in front of him in a parking garage traffic lane and made oh, contact with a wheel of Ramsey's sport utility vehicle. Police officers responding uh, reported the disturbance, uh, arrived to find, quote, two males with bloody faces. After uh, speaking so they, with, oh, only one of them was bloody, and but got the other one bloody because he bit him in the nose. Is that right? I think so. After speaking with Ramsey, the other man and witnesses, uh, the officers determined that Ramsey had gotten out of his SUV, quote, punched through the back windshield of the other car. Wow. The driver of the other vehicle said that he emerged from his car and that Ramsey, quote, pulled him in close and started punching his body and also, quote, bit the owner's nose, ripping the flesh from the tip of his nose. 
Oh, wow. Listen, I mean, that sounds like... incredibly painful, but uh, I will say this. Yeah. <laughs> for, oh, well, I can say this for uh, like uh, for Steve and myself. Bruce, have you been in a lot of fights? A lot, no, but a few here and there. What do you mean? Ten in your life or more? No, uh, probably close to that number. Have you uh, ever left anyone unconscious? No. Bloody yes, okay. unconscious now. Hmm. Okay. Well, I wait till they're Steve unconscious I, before I eat their faces. <laughs> listen, at this age, at 46, if I'm going to get into a fight, if I'm going to be forced into a fight, because I'm a lover, I'm not a yeah. fighter. If I'm going to be forced into a fight, I think my best option is is to go all out right away, like eating a nose uh, oh. <laughs> or poking an eyeball. That's the first I, move you're going for, huh? Uh, what's the upside, dude? If I land a few punches that I know are probably not going to be great because I haven't punched very many people in my life, uh, I'm just going to get punched back, and then maybe my nose will be eaten. So I think my best <laughs> no, move why is, is nose eating and be aggressive. <laughs> yeah, be the aggressor. I want to shut it down as fast as I can. So I will poke an eye, I will chop a throat, or I will eat a nose. But wait, hold on. I understand the eye jab. I understand the throat thing, which will drop someone. You can also kill them, though, so be careful with that. But you tasting somebody's flesh, how does that make it on the top three I just kick, just kick him in the balls and be right. over with. That's harsh enough. Sure. Biting or, someone's nose, you want to taste flesh of a man's. Or if you nose? want to, you know what? Even better, grab when you grab a hold of them, <laughs> like you're gonna bite their nose. Just put your your forehead onto their nose. Just headbutt the nose and yeah, go for right the nose. There. Go for the nose with anything the nose. but your mouth. Yeah, exactly. Your forehead is the hardest part of your body. Because it protects your brain. Maybe. Not my body, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen. Yeah. I'm not going to say that it's the first thing I'll do, but I'm not taking it off the table. I wow. may eat a nose. That's fair. Wow. Okay. That's fair. I know Mike Tyson did the whole ear biting thing, but yep. just, yes. I mean, it's such a zombie move to just go bite somebody's face. Yeah. If it requires face biting, I will do it. <laughs> it okay, I'm just saying. Is there a like, checklist for that? How do you determine if <laughs> face biting is necessary? You, well, you know, uh, you know what you else? hurt me very bad if I don't bite your nose. That's how I determine. Mm, okay. You, you know what else you could do, too? And I know this is going to sound weird. Yeah. But you could tongue the guy's ear. <laughs> <laughs> Get no, him a I'm back serious. massage while you tongue his ear. He'll be so you, freaked out. Yeah, you tongue his ear and I guarantee you it will completely freak him out and he'll he'll be he'll he'll back away and he'll be like he'll, he'll start calling you every gay slur he could think of and wow. then he'll be like wiping at his ear and everything like that and then he'll he'll walk away. That's you know why you don't be I just something. before I get close to him, why don't I just whip my penis out? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and just say, Come on, oh, there you go. Get it done. Yeah. First, I'm gonna beat you, then you're gonna beat me. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I once I once met a drug dealer outside my apartment in Seattle with nudity. Wow. Oh, that's right. You did. I forgot about that. Tell the story. I, these are oh, techniques so, I never would have thought of. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> so, uh, ear. <laughs> when I was when I was living in Capitol Hill. Um, there was this drug deal in front of my apartment building right by Linda's Tavern. And um, I, I told him to, you know, take a hike, move it along, get out of here. And he wouldn't move. And I said, if you don't get out of here, I'm going to take my clothes off. And, he's, and he says, he said, fuck you. So then what I did was I took my shirt off. 
Then I kicked my sneakers off. I took my pants off. I got to my boxers and my thumbs were in my boxers and I was about to pull them down. And you could probably see pubes. And at that point there, all of a sudden he looked at me. He's just like, you're fucking serious. Uh, and and, 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 and he, he just like moved it along. Wow. That should have been Nancy Reagan's thing. Instead of just say no, just say, hey, here's my junk. <laughs> just say sure. You know, he is you the know, first person I know that is just threatened to get nude and make somebody get the hell out of here. It was a peaceful solution, though, wasn't it? It was wonderful, <laughs> dude. I love it. Wow. Well, Eddie Murphy used to have a joke about, you know, if you're going to get in a fight, just go fucking crazy. Just act hey, psycho, yeah. you know, right. first. Because then no one will be like, never mind, man. Never mind. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Tongue right. is here, dude. I love it. Tongue is here. <laughs> I'm going to teach that in self-defense class now. That's that's, that's yeah. funny. There's very few things that are good on a first date and to get out of a fight. <laughs> and Brewski's just discovered one. <laughs> Licking someone's ear. So, all right. You've bridged the worlds. Nice job. Uh, you know. All right. <laughs> Gentlemen, we need to wrap this thing up. Um, I appreciate everyone's contributions. Uh, I think our uh, hip-hop discussion was great. All these stories have yeah. been good. Nick and I are a match made in heaven. We've determined that officially. <laughs> oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. So anyone listening out there, as we've been saying, uh, we're on all the social media stuff. So if you're listening right now, you're in on the ground floor, please help us spread this good word. So social media stuff, the actual podcast, uh, the vocal minority.net. If you want to check out uh, the website stuff and uh, yeah, you're a champion. You, you figure this out before anyone else. Well, now you are a champion. So spread oh, the word. Yes, yes. My name is Rupert. <laughs> yes, my name is Rupert. Get in the elevator and uh, come on up to the penthouse with us, dude. It's only going to grow like a boner, and we hope you'll be along for the ride. Yes. So thank you for joining the program. Thanks for downloading, and uh, have a good week, gentlemen. We'll, we'll be back, what, next Monday? Yep. Once a week for now and onward and upward we go. And uh, as we mentioned earlier, if you're any of these people listening around the country, or especially if you're listening over in Belgium, Liverpool, or, or Kuala Lumpur, please reach out to us. We'd love to get you on the show or at least hear what the hell, how did you find us? How's life in Kuala Lumpur? So find us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't said that sentence ever before in my life. So how's life in Kuala Lumpur? Yeah. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> All, right, All right, bastards. Have a good week. You All too. Right, everyone. Peace, peace. peace. This is the Vocal Minority with Nick and Steve. <laughs>